I lo I'm a big animal guy. I love animals. I love fish tanks. I love fish. I love fishing. I love hunting, and I love all those things. And I would have been like, I would have, I would have been Hitler's greatest libtard. Period. Long and short of it. It's those two assholes, those two idiots you saw me talking to at the third rail. Just he doesn't want to touch the third rail. That that is the third rail. Saying white people have interest. Third rail. The third rail here is Good show. Uh, another wonderful show on our on the uh, TRS network. And it's the third rail. You will be destroyed. It's the third rail. You will be destroyed. Watch out for the third rail, baby. That's how folks. Opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Like a mock throwing down an anti-vax protest, this is happening. It is episode 219 of the most huggable black people skeptical show on air since 1973, The Third Rail. I, well, I'm skeptical. We are coming at you live in the mobile Third Rail studio, this time from Post, where all it takes to get a plate of copy pasta is to ask someone, are you Jewish? I'm Borzoi, filling in for Spectre. I don't have a funny reason why he isn't here. He's just not. He called off today. Uh, joining me on the mic, he's going to do what's called a pro-Bodhi move. He's Dharma King. Namaste, my niggas. <laughs> we were supposed to also have McNabb on, um, but he's a no-show. Like, as, uh, as I told DK, <laughs> if, if it's not tedious, don't, expect, like, don't hold him to showing up on time or at all because he tends to not even show up for the for the call screening if you guys listen to uh to the regular calling calling shows that's uh not always not always a call screener on hand so not always having a third panelist on hand on the third rail either yeah well i mean you know it's uh it, it's i think it'll be fine and, and hopefully he'll, he will show up but uh in the meantime we have uh just an absolute shit ton of prep yeah. i think and and um so more than enough to more than enough to discuss on this on this beautiful uh, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day it is. Track. <laughs> I, I really wanted to talk to him about Halloween, uh, just because like, you know that's he he's been soyjacking over over Halloween lately. Actually, the introduction I, I had for him is that he's our Halloween soyjacking cyclist, Alex McNabb. H Halloween has always been one of my pretty much my favorite holiday. I know Christmas is the, is a little kid, but I always I don't know. There's something about. I think because Christmas is, um, you know, has been so commercialized for so long. Not that Halloween in some ways isn't, but it, it. I feel like it retains some more of that sense, or at least it did when I was a kid, of being like, it, it's it's close to the ground, it's close to the earth, it's 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 much. It's like there's the sense of you know, when when you're a little kid, especially, it's like oh, it's spooky, and you know, it, it you, you know you enjoy the thrill. I I um, we had a um, a. Uh, like a like a Halloween prop as um like a like a skeleton Grim Reaper thing that I I when when Siege Baby was was sieging a little too hard uh, I would use to to scare him and to this day <laughs> I haven't I haven't brought it out actually Mrs DK was like you can't do it it's too scary he's still like, all right fine 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 but uh I would I would you know threaten him with the skeleton um like you the skeleton's watching you want the skeleton he's like no <laughs> but uh but then like more recently i you know i was getting in the, in the halloween thing and 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 um we put some 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 like uh uh sound activated you know like like uh skeleton things on the in, in on the front lawn and they make these like you know this horrible ruckus and these very spooky kind of sounds um when when they're you know when they're activated and and Siege Baby, uh, who's now I guess more like Siege Toddler, it was uh, was was looking at them, and he's kind of like trying to figure out. He's like, 
I was like, so do you like the skeletons? He's like, yes. I'm like, are they scary? He's like, yes. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, can we clap and make the skeletons go? I'm like, yeah, but they're gonna get you. He's like, okay, okay. He's like, you clap. I'm like, okay. I clap, you know, I clapped and I, and I acted. And he's like, ah, and he runs runs back inside. I'm like, okay, now you clap. And he's like, no, I can't do it. It's too scary. If, so, if, you, want, if you want to mess so, with your kid, if you want to mess with your kid, by the way, like just point out to him, like you know, there's a skeleton hiding inside of you too. <laughs> oh boy, that'll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want to pay for therapy down the road. Um, okay. But there's something about that 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 childlike sense of, you know, um of like, you know, it it's sanitized in some ways, but there's just enough of that kind of wild um energy that I, I don't know, I always I always enjoyed it. I always thought that 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 Halloween was was really great and and yeah, definitely I I I get where where Alex is coming from in that um in that regard yeah I've, i mean i've always liked halloween it's and i'm not saying that anybody who didn't grow up in this region didn't have amazing halloweens or they truly you know that they didn't experience the true halloween experience but i think it, if you don't grow up in the midwest or new england with the with the kind of fall seasons we have there you're really missing out on something magical when I totally time. agree. I totally. Yeah. There's something about the the leaves turning and the and the the air getting kind of cold that it really doesn't in the in the south or the southwest or 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 even the west coast really. Um, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> another reason why I would have loved to have uh, Alex on because of the uh, the John Carpenter stuff because he doesn't lo- he doesn't like ho- the film Halloween as much as I do and one of my favorite th- like the. the, the the fact that they had to try and make that film seem like it was in the Midwest to really, I think, adds to the power of it. Because I don't know if you know this. This is, you know, I guess film soy jacking time here. But, you know, like all those, like that was filmed in California. And you can tell on some, like, because, for example, the Midwest does not have outdoor schools. You wouldn't, it would, it would not be very, yeah, right, a good right, idea right. to have those. Yeah. And so, like, all those leaves that they have, like, those are the same, like, Every shot, those are all the same leaves. Every time they had to change, do a different shot somewhere else, and they'd fall leaves everywhere. They had to scoop up all the That's leaves funny. and take them to another location because it was I filmed in California. Yeah. yeah, but That's yeah, really I mean they, that that film wouldn't work if it was like just set in California. There's something. There's just something about the Midwest, I guess, because it's the idea that, and it was something I kind of talked about as well. I think in in the film Hardcore. Now Paul Schrader was from Western Michigan, which is what informed a lot of the, the stuff that in that movie. But it, it's this idea that you have this, you know, a lot, of the Mid- a lot of these Midwest towns were built in the 19th century, and they have this kind of, this quaintness, like the frontier has finally been settled. This is civilization in an Id- idyllic way that's been brought to this area. You're away from all the dangers, but you'll never truly be. There's always something out there. Or there's something always lurking beneath the surface. And, you know, you have that contrast between what is still out there, what lurks beneath with the idyllic experience that we tried to build in the Midwest. And that's why a lot of the Halloween stuff really works well for that time of year, or for that um for those themes, I think. Yeah, he. I. I really don't. I mean, I, I don't think this is any kind of you know. Uh, don't like um, Joss Whedon. He's you know. There's all kinds of terrible things about him. But one thing that I think he did do really well, especially in like the early seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and in some of his movies, was was like in a very. In a, it was a much more kind of kitschy way, but I think it, it worked just about as well as John Carpenter in terms of like exploring the. Um, 
the psychological dimensions of like what's underlying these horror tropes, like, you know, in, in a kind of mythopoetic sense, like what are they really about? What is, what is, you know, what is it that we really fear? Um, you know, like a stupid slasher movie. Okay. Whatever, you know, it, you could maybe look at it in certain ways and, and, um, you know, it can, it can, it can be good for like a, um, a cheap thrill. But when you, when you start, when you're talking about like the thing, right. Or, or, um, some of these other kinds of, uh, um, approaches that are that are more psychologically sophisticated i think you know you you start exploring like the nature of fear itself and and these kinds of things and and it's definitely there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there i always thought anyway yeah no, no, i mean like that's the thing like that's little i think explored like the truly good horror writers is that it they as often reflective of not just who they were but where they came from. I mean, like you know, it's a blood and soil thing, really, which is why horror can be such a reactionary genre. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft, he from a fallen, yeah, right. you know, from 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 well, fallen even, wasp yeah. gentry, and like with and being in New York City and see like that's his horror is reflective of that. But like a little one that's less talked about is Flannery O'Connor. She is a horror writer, rather a writer of the grotesque, and her her type of horror stories really fit the kind of religious South. Like, I don't like there's that John, that the way that she wrote and that Southern Gothic would not have worked anywhere else other than the South because of, you know, if, if these you ever, are, you yeah. know, I, uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to travel to some, um, some like if you, if you ever like in a, like a, like an old Mississippi plantation home in the middle of nowhere on a moonlit night, like that shit's spooky. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I used to, you know, it doesn't I mean, matter I've what time of year. It I used to live. I used to live in New Orleans. It's it, it's. I'm it, sure they it, have plenty of that. Yeah, I've never been. Yeah, but I've heard they have all, all kind. It's like one of the most haunted cities in America, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been. I've seen the. I was laughing when they were talking about the Lalaurie Mansion on uh, on on Tedious, and they were at first dismissive of the story. It's like, no, that's that that actually happened. I, I've, <laughs> I, I've I've uh, I used to hang out by that uh, by that house all the time and hear all the stories about it. That's funny. Um, what was I? Yeah, doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. Well, you want to get yeah, a lot the, of this. Uh, go ahead, please. I'll let you have the last word, and then we'll go on to prep. No, no, no. We can go. We can go on. That's fine. Okay. So I wanted to. Uh, I wanted. To, I didn't really have a good. Uh, good. I should have thought of a good segue for this. So, okay. So DK, you've heard. You you know you know you've heard of. Uh, you know, Democrats are the real racists. Well, I got I got the next one. For, I got the new one for you. Uh, I can only imagine black, where this is going. Black women are the real KKK. Uh, oh, black I women, saw, I saw black this. women. Okay, so yeah, but that, but unironically though, like, black women masquerading as Ku Klux Klan member terrorize neighbors faces charges. I see it. This is why, why I wish we had Larry on right now too. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- that really raises the question of like again. I mean, not that it's kind of old hat, I guess, in certain ways, but. When was the last time that there was one of these kind of episodes that was legitimate? I guess you could say Dylan Roof, but that wasn't like that wasn't like a you know badly spray painted you know Hoyle Hortler. That was like a, I mean you know mass murder and and just completely just like a different. I mean we're not was, talking about you know spray painting. It was, painting Dil- it was Dylan Roof or, going Dylan Goof. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Like it, it just it's a you know I I, I can't. Remember the last, and and there was another one I saw. Um, same kind of thing. I, I, uh, when I, when I, if actually, actually, when when this story broke, I thought that initially that it was the same uh, thing. It was I think it was at Emory University in Atlanta. Yeah, 
It was at Emory University in Atlanta. Had a, uh, uh, a, a it was a there was like some kind of similar thing of, of putting it in. I'm putting the link in the chat now of um, spray painting graffiti everywhere, and it was you know just horrible. Blah blah blah. It turns oh, out it was yeah. A, it was this a, story, this one slipped through the cracks for me. I forgot, but I yeah I forgot about this one. So, you know, it, it's just another one of these cases of, like, you know, I guess what you do in Rabbi, except for, you know, what you do in, I don't know, what, I can't have anything pithy to. I don't know. The, the, I, yeah. I was going to say, like, I, I, with this woman, I'm just wondering, like, if maybe like, is, she, is she online too much? Is she, like, is she seeing all these uh, Nicki Minaj, Shaniqua becoming 88 memes? <laughs> is that, like, what, what's going on here? Well, I don't know about, like, so that was just. Un, un, but she was unaffiliated, right? She was just some random woman. Oh, I was gonna. I don't know. I haven't even read the story yet. I was gonna. I was just oh, okay. gonna read it. So a black so the, woman. The, the, the thing. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go first. I was gonna say the thing about the the Emery story that I that I the one of the things that jumped out at me at first was because like uh, it was it was a part to their credit. Now, granted, it's a little bit. You know, I'm not saying that these are like our guys or anything, but you know, the college fix that had ran. I think it was also in like the post millennial. It was like that tier of of outlet that was running with that story. They noted sort of from the beginning that like when these when the graffiti first appeared, I guess on August 25th, um, it was no, sorry, it was uh, it was earlier than that. Anyway, when when the when the um, when the when the incident first happened, yeah. So the police report is on August 9th, and uh, they discovered all this graffiti, and apparently the university sent out some kind of like you know, email blast to everyone. Like, we condemn in the strongest terms these blah, 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 you know, hateful actions. There's no, no part in our community and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, on and on and on. Um, and then when it turns out that it was a hoax committed by oh. a black guy. And this guy was trying to set up our like, He's trying to set up one of our guys. He, I didn't realize he did this at the Emory Autism Center. <laughs> I didn't realize that either. <laughs> Uh, maybe he's just Richard Spencer in a mask. We fully investigate. This, well, uh, Tariq Nasheed has told me that this that these are like all crimes committed by by black men are actually the crimes of white supremacists. Richard Spencer in a, in a mask. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Emory, of course, like didn't send up any kind of follow up email, and they are the, the 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 full what is this the 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 full statement that they made about it is quote. Unfortunately, we are unable to share any additional details beyond what is in the statement. Emery is unable to share personnel information and can't speculate his his intentions. That's that's it. You know, mem down the memory hole. This story. Th goes. Thanks, Ghana on. Yeah, that, that's the Emery spokesperson, Ghana on. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just. I mean, it, obviously, it's also tiresome. But but beyond that i think it 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 again is like anytime you see any of this i don't know how many how many you know i don't know how, who in the audience is interacting with people that would need to be told that this stuff is all fake but uh just remember these are two stories within about a couple of days of each other of of um of uh hate hoaxes uh committed by by black people which again i think like to me the kind of bigger picture takeaway um, which dovetails with, with something that, that uh, you know, the, the tedious guys, uh, especially Mike, are, are kind of always harping on. I think it goes well with that with that point, which is um, what does this tell you about who's actually in control? 
Like, what does this tell you about the actual power structure in this in this uh, sick joke of a of a of a country? I, you know, I, I, there's no there may not be like an immediate Jewish angle to this thing. And I mean, obviously, we kind of all understand who's pulling the strings. But in terms of like, you know, if this were a white supremacist, if this were actually a, a country that, that existed to benefit white people really in any way. Like, would this happen? Yeah. Would you, you know, do this what, if you were actually afraid of white people? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And and then that I think is something that you know even even our guys may not necessarily fully appreciate and, and certainly if you have any friends who are more like you know conservatard tier it's it, you know who maybe you know people who are maybe at least some reachable or or you have some kind of honest discussion with but 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 still kind of buy into some of the liberal premises I mean I know people like this in my own life who who you know have good instincts but but are brainwashed enough by the TV to sort of like implicitly <clears throat> implicitly um, Accept some amount, so, to some extent, the premise that, like, oh well, you know, the United States is 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 a. They wouldn't necessarily say that it was racist as such, but that it was, you know, like set up to benefit white people. It's like, okay, well, if that were really true, would this be happening? You know, what, like, wh who really has the power here? Like, what what we're doing is we set up a situation where you know you 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 attain power and clout. And 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 you make your you know case your situation better, or you, you you think you're appealing to power in some way by doing these things. It, that that just it, it 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 betrays the whole premise here, right? It just shows how that's just completely bullshit. Oh, this all started last year. I gotta read this. Like, there's some funny stuff here. A black woman is accused of masquerading as a member of the Ku Klux Klan to terrorize her neighbors. Teresha Lucas, 30, is charged of eight counts of making terroristic threats. The Douglasville Police Department in Georgia announced in a news release posted on Facebook. The racially charged notes began to appear in the mailboxes of residents on Manning Drive in a subdivision called Brookmont in December, the police department said. The notes claimed here's where it gets good. The notes claimed to be written by a member of the Ku Klux Klan and threatened to burn down homes and kill people, police said. The notes described the author as a six feet tall white male with a long red beard who did not live in the neighborhood, police added. <laughs> I, I is six feet tall, white man, long red beard. I do not live here. <laughs> <laughs> but the police department's investigation oh. led them to Lucas, a black woman who lives in Brookmont. The first notes arrived in the mailboxes of two residents on the street on December 21st. The notes threatened to burn their houses down and kill them and said they didn't belong in the neighborhood, Detective Nathan Shoemaker said. Similar notes were placed in the mailboxes of residents in late February and early March. Shoemaker and Andre Futch, another detective who worked the case, went door-to-door -to, -door to check doorbell cameras and gather any clues they could. The detectives also walked the neighborhood several times and handed out flyers to Brookmont residents. By mid-March, we really didn't have anything to go on, Shoemaker said, but he and Futch had determined the notes had similar handwriting tone and verbiage with some distinctive letters that were consistent throughout. The investigation stalled until detectives got the break they need when another note arrived six months later on September 6th. Evidence was See, found. See, if she watched more like 1970s tier crime drama, she would know to like cut out letters from the newspaper and paste them yeah. on on paper. You never write it in your own hand. That's just come on, come <laughs> evidence, on, man. Evidence was found linking the notes to the Lucas's house. Detectives gathered enough evidence to obtain a search warrant, and during the search, detectives found more video tying Lucas to the notes. She, video? So what? Like she was like videoing herself or something doing this? I, I, I mean, I would love to, right? Like, what What did they... I want to see the evidence like, on this, because I have a feeling it's going to be a lot funnier than the Newsweek is giving this credit for. I'm not going to call it. 
But that that to me sounds like what is that that uh, Israeli spyware that Jazz and James or the Carbine nine one one where basically the police departments can like get inside your your home internet connected cameras like without your knowledge essentially like that to me sounds like she has some kind of nest or something and and her camera was accessed by the police without her necessarily even knowing it um, showing her doing that that's what that sounds like to me because I, I it's hard for me to imagine what else it could be right. This is why I'm I'm skeptical about black, black people. Just skeptical about them. I was trying to think like what's like a fedora pimp hat or something. Like like I'm a I'm a skeptic, but about black people specifically. <laughs> did you see? I don't want to. I really don't want to talk about this. But did you see how culture war criminal was dressed yesterday at at the Springfield anti-vax protest? I did not. Uh, you want to share a link? <laughs> Let me see if I can find. It's just just start in your prep, and I'll, I'll see if I can find a link. Okay, um, so are we are we shifting off of that story? Oh, yeah, I just thought it was. I just the headline made me laugh, and I don't. I don't think. I mean, like I think you got to the uh, the strongest point of that. I don't think we really need to say sure. anything else about that. Let me let me let me find you. Uh, let me find you. Culture war criminal. Uh, with the uh, with the getup he was wearing, because if you didn't see it, that's uh. Yeah, you're, uh, I'm gonna get a live react out of that. Let me see if I can find this. Um, but what do you, like, what, what, I forgot, what, what did you have to talk about today? Um, you can just, I had a, a couple of different, off. nothing, not, like, it was sort of random assortment. Um, I guess we're sort of not doing winners, losers, and topic, which is just fine. I mean, I guess it's I sort of fit of us, within that. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about, because I think it's the biggest kind of, um, Thing that, that I haven't heard anyone in our in our thing you know talk about recently. It's it's also a very recent development, and and I, I, you know I guess appropriate caveats are, are that you know generally speaking, it's true that like if you adopt the position that you know nothing ever happens, you'll you'll typically be right. Um, you know, ninety nine times out of a hundred. That said, things are getting geopolitically across the world, not just like domestically. Um, very very. Uh, untethered and okay sorry. you got the sorry no, sorry because like because uh, uh you should be able to see it off of my skype as well because i have it uh let me what is I, he, what is that let me let me fi- let me just fix this here also i love that you're it's from titus's twitter that's hilarious yeah because <laughs> he's got he had the best he had the best ones about it let me let me just this bigger. So I see the George Lincoln Rockwell, but I don't see the, le- the left. One. Ameri- it's the left one. Oh let me let me God. let me see if I can make that bigger. I mean, <laughs> like, what does he think that he's doing? So I guess he's like cosplaying as the as the character from L.A. Noir. Like, what is this? <laughs> That's I saw a bunch of memes being made of like of, of people adding the axe to Dove thing on him. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say like he should have just like a giant. I don't know much him. about him. I just I don't understand <laughs> time time traveling detective arrives in 2021. Yeah, pretty amazing. much. I mean, don't get me. I actually like that drip, but like, I mean, come on, guy. I mean, like it's at an anti-vax protest in Springfield, Illinois. I mean, let's keep things. Yeah, in and perspective. A little, I, I do have a little prep on back stuff, and I, I thought I think it might be worth going over in a second. But I, I wanted to, to, I, to finish I have the to, thought. I have to read this. Sorry, this I have to read this, okay, this yeah. tweet, and then then we can move on. <laughs> Sorry, like Great, when you, yes. you were just bringing up Fedora, and this immediately made me think of it. My cover was. Oh, it got to start here, right up here. 
Snatched the latest telegram from the front office. Trouble was brewing like a clan of backwoods moonshiners downtown. Had to shuffle over to see the bustle, incognito-like. Real smooth op, but it all went bunko and fast. <laughs> My cover was blown like a, cheap, like a cheap sheet drying outside in a storm. As soon as I found myself there, I wanted to skedaddle. I wanted some palooka with fancy eyewear kept calling me cringe, and his girl Friday got my face and asked about the Palmer case. Rattled me like a colored game of dice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Titus is so good. He's the last good uh, Twitter account. It's like, I, I was surprised that he went back to Twitter because he was on post for a while. I was like, I mean, it's not, what's the matter with, I mean, it, come on, man. Like, uh, post is where it's at. You know, But I guess whatever. He has a bigger. I, I had, there, yeah, it's, it's, look, Titus, look. if you're listening, which I imagine that you are, uh, post on post sometime, please. Yeah. He comes um, and goes in, in waves. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, he's definitely one of the last uh reasons to to even like look at twitter yeah, if, you, if you tell me that you're still on uh, twitter yeah, because fine. you want to follow titus then i'll give you a pass <laughs> um anyway no so so what i was saying is 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 um this is a situation that that's developed in the um in just the last couple days and like Again, I don't want to sort of be like that guy, like it's all it's happening, and you know nothing happens because. But sh- irrespective of like what ends up happening, like the things are happening. I guess it's it's it, this is a part of the like you know just. I think in in broad terms, what we're seeing is really the 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 death knells of the post nineteen forty five world order. It's it's coming to a close that process could take decades i don't think it will i think we're, we're talking years rather than decades but at this point it's it's we can sort of see the end phase um starting to develop and and one of the ways that we're seeing that is is this situation that's developing right now and and it continues um to get more and more um agitated as we're even having this conversation it is not like there was a, there was some there was some action within kosovo that it was a uh, you know a buildup in in between Serbia and and uh, the the fake uh, gay state of Kosovo um, over the the status of some Serbian ethnic Serbs within the borders of of um, ghetto protected Kosovo that seems to have dissolved um, pretty pretty much as of now but there is a major major buildup a major major buildup uh, on the border between Iran and um, Azerbaijan. Do you mean to play um, the video at any point? Yeah, why don't you? Well, this okay. So this is to give a little context. Like so, so this is um, a recent uh, hearing that was discussing basically like what this is the this is like to give you some some sense of a background of like what this is all about. About I think people who you know have like longer you know, not not fishbowl fi, uh, not goldfish memories will will uh, remember there was this recently a, a war essentially between Armenia and Azerbaijan um, where Israel supplied. The Azeris uh, with with um, all kinds of, of of munitions and so on. This provides a little bit of a, uh, additional context as to number one what was going on there and number two uh, what's happening now. So yeah, go ahead and play that video. Um, there had been reports. I guess it must have been six or or six months ago to a year, I guess, where um, there was talk that um, Azerbaijan had agreed to let Israel use its bases in case Israel felt it had to uh, make a strike on Iran to destroy Iran's nuclear capability. Um, there seemed to be, uh, whether it was our, our State Department or, or someone somewhere, um, 
went public on it, and it seemed to me that it undermined uh, any kind of uh, um, deal that Azerbaijan and Israel have had. I'm wondering if any of you uh, can shed some light on that for me and, you know, just tell me your thoughts, because I have to tell you, my thoughts were I was disappointed when I thought on the U.S. side that we were, we were sort of bringing that to light. I, was, I thought that was something that was better left uh, un, unsaid. So that was Elliot Engel, 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 Engel. Yeah. And uh, uh, Elliot Engel basically said, like, you're saying the quiet part loud. Right. The ever expanding quiet part. Yes. Which in, in this case was was like, you know, specifically why Israel was was supplying and allying with Azerbaijan is because they consider the Azeris um, to be a a. Well, they consider Azeri territory to be uh, uh, like their use, usable by Israel in the event that they wanted to launch um, attacks on Iran, quote unquote, to prevent their 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 you know development of a nuclear weapon. Um, uh, again, this is a lot like the Bagr situation in Afghanistan, where you know Afghanistan shares a border; it's a small part of their border, but they do share. I think it's about eighty miles or so of border with. Um, with Iran and more, which puts them in the, you know, in the immediate, it's not so much about that length of the border. It's about how close they are and the ability of, of, um, uh, especially unmanned vehicles, but really whatever to, to strike at Iran. Um, yeah. And, and this is all just kind of like, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this, I was looking a little bit into it. I'm not an expert. Um, you know, I, I, I do pay attention as much as I can to Asian politics, I know more about like the you know South and East Asian politics than than this kind of West Asian. It all kind of blurs together for me a little bit, but um, I didn't realize that <clears throat> that basically uh, Azerbaijan was yeah. So great yeah, for those of you in the live audience, and, and I don't know if we're doing are we doing Odyssey videos uh, with, with no, the show well, or something or people whatever, square will matter. be, but I I'm not doing it right now. I actually the funny thing like this it is like the, I didn't realize this, but apparently like. Third Rail has been being ported over to Odyssey because I forgot that I linked the accounts. So I, I, I logged in one day. I was like, wait a minute. Why is there a bunch of Third Rail videos on the on the People's nice. Square account? Because it was automatically updating. That's, yeah. that's cool. That seems like a longer border than 80 miles. No, no, no. no. I'm talking about the Iran-Afghanistan border. Oh, sorry. No, no. That, yeah. They, they have a long border. Oh, you're right. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm, I guess I was wrong about that. Anyway, yeah. um... Yeah, so so the uh, the so Azerbaijan is basically like they're, they're, again it's like you have a the the situation there is a lot similar to the situation in Europe where uh, in like prior to the liberal uh, and and nation state development projects of the 1800s where you had like ethnic and linguistic populations that overlap that don't necessarily correspond all that well to geopolitical borders, especially those set up after 1945, um, at least initially. So you have a lot of ethnic Armenians in Iran. You have a lot of ethnic, I think this, the largest population, I think there's like, like there's more Muslims, there's more like quote unquote Pakistanis, which is really just a, a subcontinental Muslim um, in India than the population of Pakistan. I believe you have a similar situation where they're comparable or maybe even more ethnic Azeris, Azeri speaker, speakers in Iran than in like Azerbaijan, the nominal, you know, entity, which, which, you know, has all kinds of effects on, on the politics of these places. But the bottom line is that, um, the, 
the Armenian, and there's also a lot of, there's a heavy Armenian contingent in Iran as well, and in their armed forces, and, and so, like, while the state of, the nation state of Azerbaijan was allowed to be created um, by Iran, like, uh, I know there was a, the, basically the, in the in the aftermath of the Second World War, and as all these processes were being negotiated, I believe also in the, in the breakup of the Soviet Union, um, Ar Armenia stood ready to basically take over everything all the way up to Baku there on the, on the, on the coast of the um, Caspian Sea and were prevented by Iran because I guess they didn't want like oh, that wow. big of an Armenia. I mean, you, the, the, the Azeri population is not like in Iran, it's not like the exact numbers not known, but yeah, like they almost have like double the, the actual Azerbaijan population of Azeris. Exactly. It's, it's wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and, and that's like a problem that they have to manage. Right. Um, and one of the ways that they managed it earlier was by supporting ethnic Azeris to their North in what's now Azerbaijan to establish what's now Azerbaijan against um, Armenia, but obviously that, that's, I guess, to, to the kind of broader point that I'm making here, one of the broader points that I'm making here is uh, as the as the post I would even say, like, the post-1940 like, the, 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 the post-1991 collapse of the Soviet Union was, was really just a playing out of the, you know, the of the, of the post-1945 thing we're now entering a different phase entirely and the geopolitical balance has really, really shifted and one of the main ways in which it's shifted now is is you start to see um, Iran, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia each in their own way. Yes, Saudi Arabia has a proxy for Israel, of course, but but there's still you know got a large population hostile to Israel. Um, each in their own way, asserting themselves and jockeying for position in a way that like I think exposes how the the ability of the American military to just keep the lid on all this stuff. Is is deteriorated. Um, you know, there was a time. I think very very similar way to to um, to the situation with Ar Armenia and Azerbaijan. I think it was in this when in it was it was 1976 when when Turkey invaded Cyprus. Um, you had like because at that time Greece was was quite militarily powerful. It was under the population of uh, under the under the control of the Greek junta, and you had the Greek military armed, ready just waiting for the green light from their own internal command structure to just go and invade Turkey and take back Constantinople, which will happen eventually. But the, but it, it, it might've happened in 1976, except for Henry Kissinger stepped in and said, no, you're not going to do that. Um, you know, we need oh, Turkey. Oh, almost happened, almost happened exactly after world war one, but the Greeks overplayed their hand exactly. a little bit. Well, they, they had it, they had it almost just exactly. They had, they had Smyrna back. Uh, they had never lost it, really, I guess, at that point. And, and they had the whole West Coast, which was majority ethnic Greek in the West Coast of Anatolia. And, uh, yeah, then they, then they, I mean, it's, you know, the, what is it called? The disaster of the, the Anatolia campaign. They went too far inland and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we should do some Ottoman, some more Ottoman posts, and that stuff's fantastic. But, um, yeah, so it was the United States, really, that, that kept the clamp on that. And you saw the same thing. I mean, that, that there was obviously more going on in a certain sense. But I think um, when people talk and think about the Yugoslavia situation and the, and, the, and the Balkan wars of the 1990s, which we're still seeing echoes of as even as recently as past week, where there were <clears throat> buildup of troops on the border between Serbia and, and the breakaway province of Kosovo, um, the, the, it was essentially NATO, uh, which is to say the United States, that stepped in and was like, no, 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 no you're not doing this. Um, now, they can get away with that for now in the kind of hinterlands of Europe. They are no longer able, even with Israel as a kind of direct 
um, stake in it to really prevent that um, from happening here. I, I, I want to emphasize, like, I, I mean, again, I'm not an expert. I can't, I'm not like going to tell you what's going to happen. And, you know, I don't want to make predictions per se, but I do want to say it is my considered opinion that, that like the, this situation could absolutely turn hot. Like it, it's, there's neither side seems to be backing down. Everybody has all kinds of incentives not to back down. And really the only thing that could stop it is direct threat of American, uh, reprisals, but like, what would that even look like, and to what end, and and what capability does the the United States really have to act militarily against Iran, especially now that yeah. they've cleared out from Afghanistan? This is um, this is the okay, one time I think this is when I think it's actually good to read what neoconservatives say, especially when they get really mad because they have a sense for what's happening and the reason for Iranian boldness. In the last few years, it's just because of how much weaker the United States has been looking. Exactly. Now with the now exactly. with our withdrawal from Kabul from Afghanistan, it's I mean, so far I, Iran, you know, whatever setbacks Iran has had, because you know they are engaged in in a. It's not even really a cold war. It's just like it's like a lukewarm war right now. But this, uh, th- these proxy battles and subterfuge and assassinations that have been going on between them and Israel and its proxies, the it hasn't stopped them, and they haven't like the setbacks haven't been enough to cause them to you know reassess how they want to go about this. So really, it's going to be. At what point are they going to call the United States' bluff? And they are going to call it eventually, but it's a timing eventually, thing. Like you don't, inevitable. you don't, you yeah. don't, you don't want to jump the gun, especially if there's still some some fight left, you know, in the United States. So the the remaining but, the remaining capability is on the American side is the is the fifth fleet out of Bahrain, which is which can only really do anything to Iran from their from their south uh, southwest, right? The 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 and 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 it's and it's a fleet, right? So it's based. I mean, there's logistical problems um, concerning that as well. I think it's the but first yeah, time. You, the, I think that's the first time anyone's ever called the American fleet based. Certainly in in recent memory, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but but yeah, the the that's their that's the the, the basically the only um, combat capability the United States has at this at this time to do anything against iran and and even that i mean we've seen the navy has all kinds of problems uh i i guess it's maybe in this connection since we're, since we're talking about it, it's worth mentioning like obviously there was that you know we have female commanders who can't even steer their ships but there was a story that just broke i, I guess a few days <laughs> Women ago drivers am i right guys am i right am i right, am I right? <laughs> it's an oldie but a goodie um yeah there was what, what is this there was this uh uh some like what is it filipino let me put the put the link in the um, in the chat, but it's a uh, uh, it's a Wall Street Journal story, so but it's paywall. But basically, there was a a um, oh, let me start reading. On May twenty second, two thousand eight, six U.S. Navy officers allegedly piled into the presidential suite of the Shangri La Hotel in a posh suburb of the Philippine capital of Manila. The men, among the most powerful military officers in the Pacific were on shore leave from the USS Blue Ridge, flagship of the 7th Fleet, based in Japan. They were there to indulge in 36 straight hours of drinking, accompanied by a carousel of sex workers, according to U.S. federal court documents. 
The organizer of this Bacchanal was Leonard Glenn Francis, a Malaysian contractor for the Navy who had come to occupy the center of a sweeping criminal probe. The, quote, Fat Leonard scandal, known by the 350-pound Mr. Francis's nickname, would lead to the investigation of hundreds of Navy personnel and the indictment of dozens on charges related to corruption and the endangerment of national security. Sorry, this this yeah. picture, Leonard Francis Please. surrounded by Gurkha soldiers aboard his ship, the Braveheart. You know what this picture says to me? Like this is like this is the boomer who's who's bringing home all all of his half breed children from the from the Philippines. Yeah, that's what they're there. Yeah, for. pretty much. Oh, oh hey. do we have do we have a hello? Hey, hey what's up, guys? Sorry, sorry, I I, I no got uh, detained. No worries. Oh, I will be right back. Go for it. Yeah. Well, go, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, DK. I mean. Oh no! I was just going to ask. Uh, were you were you listening? How much have you heard of what we were talking about? I think he just stepped away again. Oh, it's all right. Well, I'll just continue reading a little bit because just yeah. to get to the to the to the the nut graph, as they say. Uh, the what, Mister? That's a journal. I know, right? It's a little. It sounds a little dirty now, but that's in in apparently in journalism school. That's what they call like the. The, you know, the nut, like the, the paragraph that's like the key thing. Um, Mr. Francis, now in his mid-50s, has spent eight years in prison and home detention in San Diego. Having pleaded guilty to charges of bribery and conspiracy, he has yet to be sentenced and is now the star witness in the cases of seven Navy officers, some of whom allegedly attended the party in Manila. Their trials for bribery and obstruction of justice, among other charges, are set to begin in February in federal court in San Diego. Uh, and, and basically he go, the, the article goes on to describe him in, in some detail, but basically it, it's, um, here we go, uh, skipping down a little. In fact, however, he wasn't to be trusted. Mr. Francis told me, that is the author of the article, that he regularly videotaped sex involving Navy officers. He said he hid the cameras in karaoke machines, including that night in the Shangri-La Hotel in Manila, and that he still has the tapes under lock and key. He claimed that he took the videos for fun and never handed over compromising material to U.S. adversaries. But he was a prized target for foreign intelligence services and said that the Chinese and Russian military attaches courted him as an informant. So here we have, I mean, just to kind of break this down, we, we have dozens, if not maybe hundreds, of naval officers who are, who are not only just participating in this rampant degeneracy and, you know, sex tourism and, and God knows what else, um, but who are being filmed while doing it and having that that film be available uh, at the very I mean, like, the, the, I mean, to, of course, this makes me think of Epstein and that whole scene. And, and for all we know, I'm, I'm sure that that's part of this, this story here, too, although it's not mentioned. But but definitely, I mean, you know, like leaving aside Israel for just a second, like um, the the Chinese and Russian militaries are obviously very interested in this kind of whole situation. And this just speaks to the continuing decline of American combat capabilities and, and American force projection capabilities. Um, the, these are these are, you know, we, we've cultivated a military class uh, that, you know, as we saw with, with General Milley earlier in the summer, forget the whole Afghanistan debacle again when he was just, you know, railing against white rage or whatever. Um, these these are these are political uh, hustlers. These these are these are these are not people who oh my care about it, you know, if, like if, using violence. If people yeah, like want to get like just want to get a take, like, we're not going to read all this, but there's a very lengthy Wikipedia article on the fat. It's called the Fat Leonard Scandal, and just go to that Wikipedia for Fat Leonard Scandal, and then go to 
let's see here, down to individuals involved and just read through how many people involved and what they were doing. Like, here, I'll just pull up. So you have a uh, fat Leonard, fat Leonard Francis here. Uh, he, let's see here. Fran Francis admitted he bribed scores of U.S. Navy officials with $500,000 in cash, six figures worth of sex from his Thai SEAL team of traveling prostitutes that greeted ships, lavish hotel stays, spa treatments, $2,000 boxes of Cuban cigars, Kobe beef, Spanish suckling pigs, foie gras, terrine, cognac, and an array of other luxury goods. Uh, let's see here. Who else do we? What else do we have? Uh, there was a one I saw that was that looked uh, kind of funny. Let me see if I can get... Because it just goes on and on of what these people were doing. Oh, here we go. Uh, Captain Michael George Brooks, who was the former U.S. Uh, Naval Attaché in the Philippines. Uh, Brooks of Fairfax Station, Virginia, was the U.S. Naval Attaché in Manila from 2006 to 2008. He admitted that he had been provided with the services of prostitutes on dozens of occasions and acknowledged that he and his family members accepted fine wines, hotel rooms, electronics, luxury watches, and... From Francis. Okay, it seems to be kind of a, a typo right there. I don't know what. Uh, let's see here. Commander. Where are the Vana editorial standards, Wikipedia? Yeah. Where do they go? Oh, sorry. Go <laughs> Commander Vana Kim Michael Misowitz, former deputy. Hmm, Misowitz, interesting. Oh. Former former deputy director of operations for the Seventh Fleet, former commander of the USS Mustang. Francis supplied him with prostitutes, cash, luxury hotel stays, international airfare for himself and his family, and tickets to a Thailand concert by Lady Gaga and a Lion King performance in Japan. <laughs> Just oh, <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Gentry Debord. So Debo, like this is it's, it was this Guy Debo's son. Admitted he was the former logistics officer and stock control officer aboard the USS Essex from 2007 to 2010. Admitted taking bribes from GDMA for several years in form of travel, entertainment, and the services of prostitutes, with evidence including his reporting having indulged in group sex. In return, the board assisted Glenn Defense in submitting fake invoices to the Navy and tipped Francis off about a Navy investigation to his company. The board attributed his entanglement in the scheme to his sex addiction. Society of the Sex Addiction. <laughs> There's our show title. Sounds like a show title. Yeah, uh, which it absolutely is. And and yeah, I mean that. Uh, maybe to just riff for half a second on that. Like, I, I think part of the reason why we have we're such a sex drenched culture is precisely because we were talking um, when I came on Tedious the other time. Uh, Alex is we live in a in a society that has no context for death, and and really has no context for birth either. Uh, it's it's a profoundly nihilistic culture, and so the highest good becomes pleasure, uh, understood in primarily, if not just about exclusively, sexual terms. Um, and yeah, so it's like people feel like they have nothing. They, you know, there's there's no sense of even leaving aside like a sense of the afterlife or a religious like thing. I mean, even you don't necessarily need to be religious to have a sense of continuity and wanting to you know have a future for your for your race, for your people, for your tribe, for your city, for whatever. Um, uh, but these people are just pathological narcissists uh, with with no sense of any of that, and so it becomes it, it becomes entirely about cummies, and that become that is just a very good, easy, and effective way to manipulate people. Um, particularly, you know, obviously, particularly people who don't have any of those. Like if, if you don't have God, you don't have the Dharma. If you don't have your race or or your civilization. Um, to to care for in a kind of extended sense, in a temporally extended sense of like wanting the you know a, a better future, even when you're not around for it, uh, then yes, you become very easy to manipulate. 
um, with 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 Cummies. I got, I got one. Richards was talking about recently. He he was talking about the fact that the the woke left, so called woke left, is a uh, they're more animated due to the fact that their entire existence is just here in the present, right? Did you say Keith Wizard? Did you say Keith Richards? Did I say Keith Richards? <laughs> Keith. Okay. The other Keith. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> like not Keith Richards. Does does he have a political podcast? Because I would tune in. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got i got one more here commander from this is commander uh, commander stephen f shed so shed and fart and uh commander <laughs> donald bubbles hornbeck uh, uh shed and fart was uh former commanding former commanding officer of the uss milius a destroyer and planning officer for the united states seventh fleet Allegedly recruited into the scheme in 2006, Francis was claimed to have paid for his stay at Makati Shangri-La Manila in the presidential suite, where he and Hornbeck, Dolan, Lawsman, and Loveless drained the hotel of its entire stock of Dom Perignon champagne during a raging multi-day party with a rotating carousel of prostitutes, according to the indictment. Room and alcohol charges exceeded $50,000. In an email, Shed told Francis, it's been a while since I've done 36 hours of straight drinking. In the case... <laughs> I don't think I need to go in any further. So, so again, like, you know, first of all, there was a time when these people, quote-unquote people, and their commanding officers would all have just been shit-canned immediately, right? Uh, like, it, it, when, when, when someone acts like that, it isn't just... Like, the accountability isn't just like, yes, obviously this person needs to face consequences, but the people who put them in the place where they occupy, that's a failure of judgment on their part as well, right? Um, they don't do that anymore, though. I actually they don't do article, that anymore. I read an right. article about this the other day where they were discussing the fact that you just never see these people get fired or demoted, even though during World War II it was extremely common. Like, the, you, you would constantly get rid of generals who were not performing the way you wanted them to. And they didn't necessarily end their career either. Like, they could make a comeback from that, but... Right. The mentality was different. It was like if you're not doing what you're supposed to, not you're just out of here. World War II. I mean, that like that's the Mexican American War, that's World War One, that's the Spanish American War. That's pretty much every, the Civil War. You know, even you know, uh, on, on both sides there was like a lot of rotation. Of, of the, the, the South had a better general class and or class of general officers, and 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 so they, there was less occasion for that. But but underperforming commanders would routinely be be taken off off their post. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's like kind of military 101 type stuff and we can't even do that, right? Because it's such an entrenched bureaucracy um in in such a steep decline. And and so that's I don't know if you uh were 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 there for for when the context of this Alex but what I was was talking about earlier was was um the situation on the border between Iran and Azerbaijan um continues to escalate. Um first it was a kind of like uh, it it began with like I guess well, there was a couple of things it was obviously there's the Israel context um, but but beyond that, uh, the more immediate thing was was a uh, truckers were being asked Iranian truckers trying to travel through the region were being asked to pay what were essentially exorbitant taxes by Azerbaijan, and then Azerbaijan started conducting some military exercises. So Iran decided to respond by conducting some military exercises. Then then Azerbaijan um, voiced displeasure. So Iran started putting more. Troops on the border. So uh, Azerbaijan has started uh, mobilizing troops on the border, and the mobilization continues. They have pretty much all of their um, uh, mobile artillery. Uh, Iran's mobile artillery has been stationed now on the border. 
um, and and you know all kinds of planes and vehicle, uh, you know uh, ground vehicles and all sorts of stuff. Is it, it, the, the escalation continues, the exercises, the drills continue, um, and and with no sign or you know, and it's it, you know if it doesn't just kind of naturally uh, cool down on its own. It seems like it's just going to continue escalating, and and who knows what's going to happen after that. Not to say that you know it's going to kick things off, you know, the, the great happening or something. But um, the reason I brought it up, why I was talking about it in terms of in this context, is is to me more than anything else, irrespective of of how hot things get between between Iran and Azerbaijan. The real story there is the the there's no fear of the United States that's holding them back, right? right. There, there's an understanding that the United States is just not capable of intervening or really exercising its will in that area. And that is a big story, irrespective of, of whatever else happens. Yeah, yeah, because we're fading from the global stage, like it's happening. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, exactly. It'll be gradually, then all at once. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't even, I mean, I, uh, in this in the context, too, of like basically every, every uh, I think there was just a day or two ago, um, it was 30-something Chinese planes violated uh, Taiwanese airspace. That's a new record up from like 20-something planes about a week or two ago. Um, you know, China, like, I think people need to understand, not, not, not that it, you know, we, I think, I think for us and our thing, it's, it's pretty clear, like, we have no stake. Like, yes, it, it's, China's uh, perspective on this is entirely um, reasonable. Like Taiwan is basically Chinese clay, and and there's absolutely no reason why a single white man should uh, should should have a you know any kind of injury, far less die in the defense of, of Taiwan. I mean, it's just absurd. Uh, remember um, that. Remember that chill on post that was. Very... I was about to mention it. Yes. <laughs> I don't. What was his argument? There was some retard who was like trying to claim he was a right winger or something. But like, but it's important for America to defend Taiwan because something, something, I don't know, like well, credibility. Well, no, he, I don't remember he, what it was. No, no, I, I, I can tell a, you why. I can tell you why it's important. Taiwan is where all the nice carbon fiber bicycles are made. <laughs> Ty, Taiwanese carbon is legit. Like that's that's the best. You want your bike to be made in Taiwan. <laughs> as I the, as the I mainland, the mainland, not so much. Actually, I, I might be able, I I might be able to pull up what the uh, from because I remember I posted it on Telegram. I might be able to pull up what it. Uh, it was like, obviously it was just in bad faith, and it, and then eventually we after push came to shove, it's like he wasn't Jewish, but he wasn't white either, and it's like okay, for like this. So then, so then this has thanks for like saying that we you think white men should die for your pet cause, but but we're not going to do that. Um, I was right. funny that you, you you mentioned China agitating stuff with Taiwan because I was actually riding a bike with a boomer, and he's of the opinion that China might start some shit because of their economy heading into rough waters. I agree. I think that's a reasonable. That's anyway. Sorry, go on. But I just wanted to say like that. I have the same thought. Yeah. So have you have you paid attention to the, what is it the Evergrande? Evergrande. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Until he mentioned it, I had not really been looking into it. But my God, it's ja I know. Yes, Jazz. Jazz uh, did a pretty good breakdown the other week. Um, I, I would add to that if you haven't listened to fas that fascination, definitely do that. But uh, the the thing I would add to that is is that like what I've noticed is so like I was paying attention to the, to the Evergrande story for a while because it, it like there's strong suspicion which hasn't completely been allayed. There's there's people who claim otherwise, but I just don't believe it that um, it's it's Evergrande and related businesses issuing essentially. It's called commercial paper, which is a kind of business loan that is the the nominal asset, quote unquote, backing the value of USDT. That is uh, tether, like the 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 bit the the cryptocurrency, still so called stablecoin. 
um, that that some hundreds of millions of Tether are quote unquote backed by essentially loans issued by Evergrande. Um, and so that people in the kind of cryptosphere, people who were following that that side of the things were aware of this. Um, maybe like there were other people who were sounding the alarm way, way earlier. But that first it first came on my radar about two months ago because of that. Um, and the the ever the other the other thing that I noticed was was um, the numbers were, were wrong in, in some of the Western media, in particular, the Wall Street Journal, one of the first articles they ran on Evergrande a few weeks ago claimed that Evergrande only owed about $80 billion in debt. Uh, nobody really knows how much they owe, but it's no less than 300 and probably closer to no less than $400 billion. Uh, I don't know how they were accounting or how they were getting at that number, but there was a systematic effort to downplay just how much debt Evergrande was in and the kinds of effects it was going to have. Sorry, yeah, what were you going to say? So, so they're, they're like sitting on all this massive uh, amount of real estate holdings that are just yep. empty, right? They're yeah, just... that's, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they they like so you've seen those like ghost cities in China, right? Where they 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 build all these skyscrapers that are uninhabited. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of what's what's going on with it. With, with with Evergrande in particular, part of the problem was that uh, essentially they're like they're taking money from people now. I mean, they've been taking money from people for years to build units. Um, they're selling units that don't exist, that don't even really exist on paper. Um, they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna have a building here. We're gonna have an apartment, and it's gonna have your name on it if you give me, you know, fifty percent of the, the money that it's worth now. And people were doing that, and so that's the real that's the real danger here. I mean, there's there's several there's 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 a, there's several dangers interrelated. One is some kind of um, you know people like comparing this to Lehman Brothers. I definitely agree with Jazz that it's not gonna be a Lehman moment. Um, I, I I mean, it could. I guess there's an outside possibility of that, but. But the, the big problem with Lehman was derivatives. They don't seem to be those same kind of derivatives. Um, there is threat of contamination, but uh, like in other words, people, the people who bought Evergrande debt, um, especially big banks and the like, um, the Chinese banks, who you know, like that's a big part of their balance sheet is you know, oh, we we have this money. Um, if that goes up, then then they start having you know liquidity problems, and 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 it could spread throughout the. The Chinese economy that way, and then that would obviously have global repercussions. And so, watch out for that because that's definitely possible. I think the more likely scenario is um, with, 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 is that they uh, basically like the the because the problem is when they when they take money from Chinese citizens, right, and they say we're you, we're giving you we're going to give you an apartment in like five years once it's built. You give me all this money now. Well, now they don't have the money and they don't have the apartment because they can't pay their contractors and the building doesn't exist, right? Um, that's a problem for the Chinese government at that point when you have, you know, millions of people essentially who are, um, who, who thought that they purchased a house to live in or, you know, something like a, and, 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 and there's nothing and they're out, they, they don't have their house and they don't have their money and their money is like gone, right? It's not even like the entity that they gave their money to has the money either at that point. That's a situation that, that the Chinese government really, really wants to avoid. And so it seems like the strategy that they're going to be taking is to um, some version of like try to make especially individuals who purchase those kinds of things whole however they can and to prop up the the some amount of the debt on the Chinese uh, onshore like the Chinese banks um, that 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 were issued this one including I think Larry Fink is is going to be SOL uh, I, I'm 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 reasonably certain that like it looks like the way at least the first stage of it is that the 
the non-Chinese who who um, who who took took Evergrande's money, who get loaned Evergrande their money, uh, are going to be out, and and not going to be made whole. And and the Chinese government is going to try to limit the damage to outsiders and to and to make the Chinese citizens, especially private citizens, whole as far as they can. Uh, a, you know, taking Taiwan as the American situation continues to decline, as we have a senile pedophile um, nominally in charge of the government and the military is in complete disarray. You got officers going, you know, on trial for for you know spending thirty six hours drinking Dom Perignon and yeah. and banging whores. Uh, that's a great look for the Chinese government at a moment when they really, really need a win. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. People have been sounding alarm about China and their irrigated economy for a very long time now. I I don't see Chinese the, the Chinese really having a sort of a, the dominance on the world stage that people think that they're headed towards. And there's been these endemic issues, their demography for so long that it seems inedible that they're going to run into something similar to what happened to, to uh, Japan. Well, they have, what is 90s. it, thir- like thir- 30 million men for whom women do not exist like yeah. <laughs> you know like, yeah. that, that is the median age is 38 it's, right it's an aging country it's just like japan it's just like the rest of the world it's aging they don't have enough workers to go around they're they're headed for a major problem and some would argue this is what caused the uh japanese stock market crash around what was it 1991 89 yeah, the, 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 the lost like decade of the 90s yeah was that essentially they had to they had to prop up their economy because it was slowing due to demographic issues because Japan's birth rate fell before ours did by a good decade or more. So they were they were beginning to experience economic slowdown. Uh, they, they slashed interest rates. They tried to stimulate the economy. This led to a real estate bubble. It led to people putting a bunch of money into hard assets. And next thing you know, you had, you had a stock market crash. They've, and they've been in a recession. I think they're still technically in their recession. They've never I mean, recovered. They, they, they never, really, never really recovered. recovered. I know, they, there was an attempt of Abe, what they called Abenomics to try and kickstart their economy, but they were easily within a, a, a recession for over 20 years, still ongoing, really. Yeah. yeah, and that's Japan. That's like a country that is essentially an ethnostate that has high social trust and is pretty smart, generally. Yep. Ima- imagine imagine <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen imagine to other that countries. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, McNab, you missed. I don't know if you, if you guys wanted to say anything else about that, but you missed our Halloween discussion. But I'm going to give you a chance to kind of loop oh, back no. around to that because you you mentioned the show you watched, and I actually found a a Vox article that was along what, and it might have been that's what you saw. That's, that's the one, one you saw too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what? So, what have you you been watching again? I'll let you kind of lead into uh, that. I was watching a show called Midnight Mass. It's one of these, uh, what is it, Flanagan? Mike Flanagan? Yeah, Mike Flanagan. It's the guy who did uh, Hill House and uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor or something. I, I haven't seen either of those. This was this is just something that I, I saw that had popped up on Netflix. And I was like, all right, let me, uh, I got brain cells to kill. Let me fire this thing up. And I actually watched all of it. And I thought it was somewhat interesting. I'm, I'm not going to give it like a huge recommendation, but. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. <laughs> Can you read the subtitle out? Because that's fucking hilarious. Yes. Why I Felt Betrayed by Netflix's Midnight Mass. Horror is a natural refuge for atheists and sinners, but Netflix's Midnight Mass made me feel erased by A.J. Romano. So Good, right, Romano. right off the start here, the thing that my, my first observation is like, okay, if, if the horror genre is, is something that caters to you, then why are you crying? They did something that doesn't cater to you. Like, yeah, let me read these two paragraphs. Right, to... 
Yeah, let me read these two paragraphs here. <laughs> Flanagan told the New York Times that Midnight Mass is his most personal story yet based on his own years of religious exploration and a healthy Catholic upbringing that was challenged by his personal study of the darker aspects of the Bible until he ultimately found more affinity with atheism and science. Despite these self-professed doubts, however, there's very little doubt in Midnight Mass. The show's overtures towards critiquing America's Christian majority fall by the wayside. Instead, oh, Flanagan... No! <laughs> Instead, Flanagan and his Midnight Mass co-writer, his sibling Jamie Flanagan, wrap a tale of re- a religious zeal around a barely-veiled allegory for the COVID-19 pandemic that's bolstered by an emphasis on individualized faith. There's so much effusive Christianity here, so many rapt displays of faith, sermons, monologuing through Bible verses, and preaching to the lost, that the horror element almost feels like a window dressing. Even though Midnight Mass does still contain plenty of overt horror elements, I think the series actually pushes Flanagan quite far outside the horror genre. If anything, I felt baited or by maybe, this story. Or maybe it just horrifies you in a deeper <laughs> way than you understood. Yeah. Yeah, as a like gender, maybe, maybe sp- it's just like this is like... You know, like you're used to being horror being like, you know, a uh, 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 whatever, you know, blood gushing or, or God knows what. But no, instead, he's confronting you with like something actually horrifying, which is which is your your shit liberty and your retardation and, and, and your lack of faith. And like well, what that actually I, means I, I, in an existential sense. The, the real horror here. And this this is exactly what this person is, is, is unconsciously yeah, reacting the, to. The, the, the show the, the, is about. Shows the, about human mortality and how you deal with it. And one of the messages in the show is that if you try to try to uh, escape your mortality the consequences are going to be devastating you have to face it head on the reason why aja romano well why you're not getting anything out of this is because you're the monster yeah you're the vampire <laughs> yeah no really you are the vampire this this story is so religious, it's almost insulting as a queer gender queer atheist who was raised as an evangelical. <laughs> I'm drawn to horror in part because horror stories fundamentally offer a counter-narrative to mainstream Christianity's most toxic ideas. What, what, what are you talking about? Why do you <laughs> need every piece of media to be an after-school special about how bad Christianity is? Like This, this is the, literally, like, but what, this is, what I hear wrong, when, I, when we, I see we that talk, is, like, it's, like, just a demon talking. Like, this is literally yeah. just, like, demons talking. But like, thank you, you demon, D- for your opinion. DK and I t- kind of already touched on this earlier, but horror is probably the... I mean, like some people argue about fantasy being it, but horror is the most reactionary genre. It, it just is by its very nature because you have to feel... Like, it is it, embedded within it is the fear of the unknown and the fear of the other. It's like... It, that is embedded in core to that. Now what, now, what the unknown and what the other is is going to differ from story to story, writer to writer, and what, the, you know, what that's rooted in. But fundamentally, horror is a reactionary genre because you are reacting. Uh, yeah. Through tropes that tend to celebrate villainy, sinfulness, deviance, queerness, and defiance, horror embraces and empowers all that conservative religion rejects as immoral and unholy. No! What are you talking about?! What what horror do you know that celebrates villainy and deviance? Like, I think I think you're you're too much identifying with the villains. Like you know how we always talk about how how in like in the movies they make like we identify with the villains. Like I think they identify with the villains in horror. I think that's what's going on yeah, here. This person watches Hellraiser and they think that Pinhead is the good guy. Oh, it's oh, it's just like when they tried to like when they tried to when queer people and i thought for certain that there was a, a satirical article no it was real like when queer 
people when homos I don't, why am I calling queer people when homos were trying to re, like claim that the Babadook and the clown from it is one of their own I was like well okay you're correct but I didn't think you'd be admitting that <laughs> I just didn't think you'd you'd want to admit that uh, think for example of the many queer horror icons that have helped shape queer identity into a reclamation of villainy uh, or of the witches Black Philip famously inviting Anya Taylor Joy's colonial final girl to live deliciously. So, okay, you missed the whole the point of all these stories. The fucking devil. Yeah. That's the devil. Black Phillip is the devil. <laughs> He's Satan. You're going by at- Satan. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> literally, in that movie, the witch is a baby killer. That's what I'm saying. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's not even like... This is literally just demons being like, actually, demons are good, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, exactly. it's not that complicated. <laughs> it's like, well, what's, go- what's going on here? Horror's supposed to celebrate us being demons. Like, they don't get, well, why is this, why is this religious thing, like, trying to, like, make Christians look like good people? They're not. They're the, hor- they're what's horrifying. Yeah, th- there's, like, a lot to unpack here, because one of the other complaints <laughs> I think this guy, or whatever this creature had in this article, is that they were complaining that the uh, the, the priest was humanized too much, and he was, he was a complicated character. I'm like, what, you want to be, like, just a one-dimensional bad guy? You, yeah, you they already do, have though. the one-dimensional they, they bad do. guy. They do. They do want that. They, they have exactly, one, though. They have know, one. They, that character bores me. They have, uh, uh, what is it, the Bev, Bev Keen. And Bev Keen is, she's... What is that movie? Uh, book oh, they have it right here. King, the Fog. Or, yeah. Or the, oh. the Mist. The Mist. The Mist. I always S- Samantha Sloyan. You remember The Mist has like this, uh, this yeah. religious zealot, uh, Miss Carmody or something like that? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got that character in this. It's like the Stephen King religious fanatic. Like she's in there and she is unambiguously un- un- the bad guy. So you, you do have that in there. Like, why are you crying? You needed all of the religious people to just be one-dimensional bad guys. Is that the problem? Uh, I have here from I, I looked it up from Dark Enlightenment's um, Telegram, which uh, speaks to this, and, and I was just a, such a great point, and I'll, I'll just read it out now. Since 1789, the liberal totalitarian state has sought to perfect the world via making non serviam that is, I will not serve, which is the you know the, what Lucifer says. Um, to God, right? Non serviam, the universal creed. It has cost hundreds of millions of lives, likely billions of souls, and this latest from Bergoglio is just admission that it has become the creed of the Vatican. This is when I, one of the latest outrages from the, the, the fake antipope. Uh, the goal of liberalism is to turn every individual into their own worst version of Milton's Satan. Non serviam as a telos. That is a, a goal, a final end. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's like, I think the animating ethos of this perspective of this article people like this is is they can't like the the idea of any kind of constraint on their individual uh will expressed as just whatever you know however deviant of a desire they happen to experience at any given moment is is unacceptable to them you want to read the the paragraph With the one that I have up right here, the about uh, yeah. uh, midnight I, I, I mass. I see a sentence sticking out at me right there. The series almost entirely erases atheists, agnostics, and people of other religions by emphasizing its Christian worldview. Oh no! Oh no! There's a show that's it, it doesn't cater to yeah. my interests as much as I think it should. 
Midnight Mass makes several attempts to critique organized religion, yet the impression it leaves is that faith in God, and explicitly Christian faith in particular, is the ultimate pandemic comfort. The series almost true. entirely <laughs> erases atheists, agnostics, and people of other religions by emphasizing its Christian worldview. I choose God, Hassan's rebellious teen son Ali declares when he joins Paul and Bev's new cult, as if Allah, the God he grew up worshipping, was never real. The narrative wants to portray his choices as entirely wrong-headed, and he's quickly shown to regret his decision, but when most of the series' other good characters are all also making choices based on their proud faith in the Christian version of God, the implied falseness of Ollie's choice doesn't sink in. Yeah. I mean, I got news for you. Like, Allah is not any more, like, Allah doesn't like any more demon, demons any better than the Christian God. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not... <laughs> One thing is, this is not a particularly smart person, because they're talking about how it's the ultimate pandemic comfort, but it's absolutely true that mortality salience increases during a pandemic. And people do become more religious because it does actually offer you some sort of comfort. Like that's been studied. Look that's at how much recent. how much this person is seething about this. There's plenty of room here for homages to movies about religious doubts such as Winter Light and First Reform. But apart from Riley being a lapsed Catholic, dragged back to church at his parents' insistence, Flanagan barely touches on religious doubt at all. Instead, he repeatedly places such an excruciating emphasis on faith in the divine as a form of ultimate reassurance, explicitly a Christian faith above all else, that Midnight Mass becomes a homily. Multiple long sequences where the whole town gets together to sing Christian hymns seem to serve no narrative purpose except to remind us how comforting God's presence is and that worship is beautiful. While there's a climactic I can, I can just effort... just like DK Fed posting in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> While there's a climactic effort to infor- enfold atheism and agnosticism into a revised definition of God, similar in spirit to Angels in America's famous Ozone monologue, it comes far too late to shake the series christian-centered worldview and, and the, this is a problem because because i'm an atheist i'm, a, I'm well, a, it, a libtard atheist well it's like it's like literally i mean let's let's just grant the i haven't seen it it does he's making me want to see it but but let's just grant for the sake of argument that everything this is this is this is a like correct on the substance of you know like uh like it's very pro-christian in a kind of explicit way does that mean that the Christians are not allowed? They shouldn't the Christians shouldn't make art? The Christian there's no there's no space on Netflix or or in the public in the public square generally for like a like a you know a well a, if you're if you're ex- gonna have it in the public space you need to make sure you're condemning it that's that's one of the things they're saying here is you you can't well, talk about you can't have a condemning. positive portrait you can't have something that's like you know yes I'm Christian yes this is this is how I look at the world this is you know. Um, uh, how how you know you, you you there's if you don't like that there's as you say there's all kinds of other shit on Netflix. Every, literally everything else on Netflix is explicitly demonic. You got cuties, you know. You can go watch cuties or or yeah. any number of other uh, uh, you know uh, shit tier and and demonic type productions. You can go watch Big Mouth or or, or whatever you want to have your you want to have you know. There's all kinds of stuff on Netflix is going to say oh demons are are good actually. You have one. Thing, one program that says demons are bad and and God is good and Jesus is the way to salvation, uh, and that's unacceptable. It really it really shows you how these people think and 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 uh, how totalitarian they are, um, and 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 like I mean I, you could say like so much for the tolerant left maybe it's an old talking point but I'm I'm actually kind of floored that they're you know the author here is so explicit in in really revealing like the. <laughs> The, the 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 rhetoric of liberalism is 
we have, you know, everybody gets a say, right? Everybody, you can speak your mind. Even, I think, on the left liberal side, for the most part, it's like, you know, okay, maybe if not if you're a quote-unquote Nazi and that definition continues to expand. But with the exception of quote-unquote Nazis, like, you know, the idea of liberalism is, yes, if you're religious, if you're not religious, if you're secular, if you're atheist, if you're Christian, if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever, that, you know, there's a place for you, there's an ability for you to have your, you know, perspective out there. This person is saying that is not permitted to Christians. Um, that's really something. Well, let me tell I, you, I can tell you one of the things that got to this person there watching it, though, because there there's a lot of scenes that have sort of your protagonist who's, who's atheistic, is is sort of like the, the POV for the audience, and it gets into these these kinds of debates with the priest, and your 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 expectations are subverted, because rather than this uh, this atheist owning the priest, right, rather than him just like totally owning him and uh, making him look stupid, instead it goes kind of the other way, and the priest turns out to be really smart, and he has intelligent, self-conscious things to say. And I'm sure that that must have really stuck in the in whoever wrote this, whoever wrote this, it must have really stuck in their crawl at that hand. Aja Romano. Um, th- th- tell me, does this sound? Well, actually, before I go into this, that actually reminds me of something that our, our priest said today at, during his homily. He 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 was basically talking about how much he hates the fr- the phrase. Um, I'm spiritual but not religious, and he just said, "No, no, you're a pagan, and your re- and your religion is selfishness." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah, but the, the the author of this article, they don't even rise to the level of paganism. Yeah, like they're, they're, they don't get to that point. They're they're straight up. I mean, paganism. Say whatever you will about paganism or or whatever, but like, no, this person is a this person is 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 infested with demons oh, and yeah. is. Saying like you should worship demons. No, <laughs> this, 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 this person, I, I, I consider this person like within, with, with, because they are completely defined by Christianity, but in the negative sense, therefore they're just, right. an, they're an antichrist and they're demonic. That's all they are. I mean, like when exactly. Someone, like, pa- pa- like, a separate thing. Like, I'm not, like I, I just like that line, yeah. but yeah, I wouldn't even call this. I wouldn't even like insult pagans by calling this person a pagan. This exactly. is just a demon. When and when someone says like their pronouns are they. It's like, okay, well, we have, a, you know, when, when it's in the Bible, when it's like, you know, uh, you know, we are legion, like, I believe you that your pronouns are they, because you're possessed by a shit ton of demons. Yes, that's like, one that's of my, what's that's going one on my there. Halloween decorations. I've got that upstairs. Yeah. Legion. But does this sound like somebody who understands the horror genre to you? Horror is the genre that many look to when they want to see society stripped of its false narratives. The myth that technology is only benevolent. The myth that civilization can protect us. The myth that any long-term earthly consequences for humanity's short-term greed don't matter because God has a mysterious plan and will reward us in the afterlife. Does this sound like somebody who actually understands the horror genre at all? No. No. (laughs) Not at all. It's like this is like no you're you don't like horror you like libtard sci-fi that's what you like. Yeah, this this is not a, a true horror fan either. I also yeah. I've never seen an example like this of somebody just missing the fucking point so hard like you watch the show and if 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 you watch this and you're not a retard you get that the central thrust is about how people deal with mortality because the protagonists they have a very long extended scene that they keep coming back to where they talk about what they think happens to them when they die. Like that's what this is about. It's about how you handle death, and how how you cope with it. <laughs> and it has it has a little bit of moralizing about the proper way to do it and the bad way to do it. But that was the point. Like that's the point of the show. It's it's not like it's trying to get you to convert to Christianity. It's just demonstrating that that is one of the ways that people handle this, and it's, it's part of their spirituality. 
Well, it's this is like, and this is you're seeing this more and more. The idea that if there's any nuance or positive depiction of something that I don't agree with, that therefore that is a full endorsement by the creator. Yeah, and like no, they they literally want to. Like, these people want to live in a a Ben Garrison cartoon where basically <laughs> everything it's just like their version of it, where everything is just very black and white, and all of your enemies are ridiculous. Yeah, and the, the show is nuanced enough that it's it, it sort of presents this as like regardless of the choices you make, mistakes you make, the, the good things you do, whether you're a fucking vampire or a human, you're going to die. And you you have to think about what this means for you personally and how you're going to approach it. Like it it has a honestly I, I do like the show. Like it it did have it, it does kind of make you think a little bit. Like it is a it is definitely far above the usual Netflix flair, but it that, all of that goes right over this 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 fucking writer's head. Like they they didn't pick up on it. It's amazing. It's well, they, they can't. I think there there's there's a kind of cognitive block where they're like they're incapable of processing memento mori as you as you were yeah. saying. You know, remember that you will die. Like it just doesn't even just doesn't even register for them. If you if you guys have you guys ever read the screw tape letters this like, this is just like this this person is just like one of those lesser demons that screw tape would yeah, eat because that's what they're I was just saying. incompetent. Like, this is just a demon being like trying to give you arguments for why you should like listen to demons and not listen to Jesus. But, I mean that's But what I'm saying like this, I, I, this is like a, this is even a lower cast of demon. This is the type of demon that screw tape would eat because they're just they're just completely <laughs> useless. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I kind of, I kind of want to talk about piss boy Castrati's. <laughs> you don't know the meme. How's your boy McNab. Rod doing? <laughs> so uh, you don't know this, McNabb, but our, our buddy Minesweeper, uh, he had a he had a long what would he call what do you call him like an oyster slurping piss boy Castrati? <laughs> it was for I don't yes that was the it was a little longer than that but that was the that was yeah. the uh the 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 key thing yeah well, the, the, no like, i think the key, oyster like, I think guzzling the key, maybe it was yeah, yeah I, think, I think the key his, i think the key tweet, well, because what, what was it no he said like can somebody please tell roger to unblock me i didn't mean to call him a piss an oyster guzzling piss boy castrati <laughs> well the the thing the piss thing came from like there was like what was it some I think it was oh, one of right. he some wrote an article about pissing himself when he got bullied. Like, you know, oh, I wouldn't piss on someone if it was if it was they were on fire. Oh, and yeah. Rod was like, "Would you piss on me? <laughs> would, you piss would you on piss me, on me, old friend? friend? <laughs> would you piss on me, old friend?" Oh, Didn't he also have a God. thing about being bullied as well that he wrote in an article once? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember all the, de- but then from from when basically asking his friends to piss on him to. Uh, just guzzling oysters and with his mouth open like a, like a soy. Jack. The the Roger soy jack is 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 one of the better soy jacks. Um, yeah. So anyway, he, had, you, and, he and, has to be doing that intentionally. Like I just I. Oh my god, that story that some we won't say who, but a friend of ours who <laughs> happened to run into. I think because I, I won't I won't say who it was, but yeah, some guy who happened to run into 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 Roger who was visiting. He, he saw- yeah, it was like it, Rod. I guess was visiting his church, and he saw him entering the church as he was like the, our friend was going to confession, and he had to he had to confess murderous thoughts to the priest, and the priest was like, "Is this because you just saw Rod Dreher?" <laughs> <laughs> like he has to know the level at which he is despised like, yeah. and loved. Like I just I I can't believe that he's he's not aware of it so like when he does those soy jacking things like it's just like he's got to be trying to like a weak attempt to troll us or something 
I just can't believe he would be that unaware. But uh, he did this article, which got me to to buy a book from somebody I probably would never normally buy a book from because I wanted to read it. Uh, Learning from the Radical Right. And this was uh, on the American Conservative. I have been meaning for a while to write about one of the best books I've read this year. Matthew Rose is a world after liberalism, philosophers of the radical right. Rose is not on the radical right. He's a Catholic and the director of Berkeley of the Berkeley Institute and a contributor to First Things magazine. By the way, I'm going to just pause here for a second. Because I've had people try to... Like, I suspect that Matthew Rose probably is a, from a converted... A Jew converted to Catholicism background, but I have no actual proof of that. People have sent me a thing of a Matthew Rose journalist on Wikipedia that had a edit page that was edited. That's not the same Matthew Rose. They're, those are completely two different people, two different journalists. It's not the same guy. Um, in fact, a superb 2019 essay he wrote for First Things about the far-right journalist and essayist Samuel Francis forms the basis for his new book. Rose's new book profiles some of the leading contemporary thinkers of the radical right, showcasing why they appeal to some people today. He neither lionizes them nor demonizes them. Well, no, okay. I've been reading it. He makes a lot of, like, really catty, like... He, he does, he does, he does like, a, little, a lot of, like, little snide remarks, and he does, like, misrepresent things about these guys' lives. Like, this. Uh, they call him Yaki a pagan and the like. Just stuff that's meant to basically antagonize as many Catholics as possible against against these guys. Uh, what's so valuable? Well, they they perceive that the yeah. I think the the problem the underlying issue is that the they the, the reactionaries, so to speak, or at least these. Well, actually, Rose isn't even a reactionary, uh, and and Rod isn't either. He just has some yeah. quasi reactionary sympathies, but they perceive correctly that our rhetoric, our thing, is just way more popular and way more philosophically coherent and politically coherent than anything they could ever stand to offer. And so they're trying to drive this wedge um, because they're trying to say, uh, you know, like, oh, well, the alt-right and these, you know, the, 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 the authoritarian right wing generally is um, – uh, anti-religious, they're anti-Christian, blah blah blah. Which, pa- like, yeah, first like, of all, isn't the, the, the pagan things brought up a lot. They, they bring, uh, like, yeah, which is a continuation of uh, of fucking PT Carlo, Dan DeCarlo's bullshit <laughs> right. that he started a, uh, a year even earlier than Matthew Rose did about like the Nietzschean pagan right. Like he, PT Carlo was the one who started all of this shit in order to get, in order to try and drive as many, like drive a wedge between people who don't want to be demographically replaced. Yeah, it's it's like right. a single think issue. Like definitely you know, yes, it, it's like it, an it, internal it, internal to the right Finkel think thing of like you're least, either at least a pagan is spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the like? I mean, that's the thing is, what is the Christianity that you? I mean, first of all, I was just, I mean, no part of this premise needs to be accepted. Like, if, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you don't need to accept your 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 the genocide of your race or of your of your people. That's just not. That's just a, it's just a non sequitur. Has no bearing on the issue but but like yeah as you say it's just not even what, what is what is the what is the christianity that you're the, the 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 alternative that's even being offered like i mean that's the the question i mean i i don't mean to jump to the end boards so i don't want to like you know we can we should definitely go through the thing but essentially rose and and dre are both are defending liberalism they're just trying to say like oh well we should go back to you know liberalism without just without all the quote-unquote woke stuff 
why? Like, what is that? What is, you know, not leaving aside, like, okay, well, what was the fruits of that? What did that end up result? And, and you know, Dark Enlightenment and, and 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 others have always, you know, like people people have been saying since the 1700s that this was going to happen. So, so like, it's it's not like it's a mystery, like what's going on or why. Um, but again, even even leaving that aside, like, why would we want liberalism? Like, what 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 is liberal? What's so great about liberalism that it has to be defended? Uh, I, I just I take on. I take such umbrage to the, the, that this idea that Matthew Rose is just you know dispassionately you know he says like, Rose looks at these figures squarely and fairly It's like no read the introduction like he makes it very clear that he he talks he he references white shifting from Eric Kaufman he talks about the open society which is like that's why like I can't fault anybody for just assuming that Matthew Rose is Jewish based off some of the things he says in the book. It's like, no, he like he's very like subtle and snide about it, but he has an agenda. He's not being dispassionate when he profiles these guys. Because I've been losing, I, if you if you go to t.me slash Borzoi books, I've been losing my mind reading this book because it makes me so mad. Eric actually kind of liked, Stryker kind of liked it, but I'm mad. I'm not, I'm not even, I had to set calm down for a couple days because of how how mad the francis parker yaki chapter was making me but uh rose so henry george writing in front porch republic says rose's book is not a sociological survey but a series of intellectual portraits of five thinkers of loosely the post-war radical right oswald spangler uh julius avola francis parker yaki elaine de benoit and Sam Francis. As Rose says in the book's introduction, we tend to view history as before and during liberalism. We know or assume the time before liberalism was one of darkness and cruelty, intellectually closed and socially brutal, but it still had the allure of familiarity and cultural connection, however faint. What is truly disturbing, according to Rose, is to attempt to imagine a world after liberalism, one that does not correspond to what we know or what we think we knew. If liberalism is no longer the baseline, then our most basic presuppositions must be up for grabs, and who knows what could replace them? The five wow, thinkers. Wow, so a terrified yeah. midwit. <laughs> exactly. I might have to. I might have to critically think. <laughs> I can't just take things as as a priori. <laughs> the five thinkers under discussion are not presented through the argument of abandoned liberalism and this is your destiny, but there is a warning implicit through the book that their ideas are serious and deep enough to take on their own terms, offering a potent alternative that has resonance with our current condition. Should we lack prudence, we could indeed follow the ideas of these thinkers down the dark paths they lay out. As Rose why, writes, why is I it a lack of prudence to follow those ideas? Like yeah. you just you just said it's a potent alternative that has resonance. Yeah. Maybe maybe these thinkers are right. As Rose writes, I do not claim we are fated to repeat their arguments and certainly not to admire their character, but they can serve as guides to some of the lurking political possibilities of our time, helping us to better understand what some radicals have already discovered and what more we'll likely find. Rose argues that these figures went further than others in looking beyond the present and past into a reactive future. None of these thinkers is conventionally conservative. They see little worth retaining in their own time and look forward to what could arise and how thinkers like themselves could or should work to shape it. For these thinkers who write with words of dynamite, what ails liberalism went down to its roots. For them, liberalism was both false and evil, denying our collective racial nature and heritage, unmooring us from our time, uh, from our place in the ethno-cultural social order. Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly right about Rose. Back to Dreer here. This is exactly right about Rose's book and why I found the book so riveting. Rose is emphatically not on the side of those radical right thinkers, but he is smart enough to realize that they are deep and they speak about things that liberalism, meaning classical liberalism, prefers to ignore. We on the right tend to be dismissive of far left claims and arguments when we really shouldn't. 
Some conservatives on Twitter wrote, some conservative on Twitter wrote not long ago about a report that the millennials and Gen Z have far less savings and wealth at their age than the boomers did. The Twitter commentator said something to the effect of, is there any wonder that people who can't accumulate anything under capitalism don't like capitalism? Similarly, people on the left ought to pay attention to what these radical right people are saying. Once again, Roger being a tattletale. (laughs) <laughs> running running to them and trying trying to point out the bad thing. They are speaking to people who have not prospered in the liberal order. You can call these people losers and haters, and maybe they are, but reading Rose's book, you understand the, that those facile dismissals are dangerous. George points out that all the thinkers profiled by Rose hated Christianity and blamed it for introdu- introducing liberals into the world. Okay, no, that is not accurate, you fucking asshole. I hate you so much, Roger. I hate you so much. I have, I'm stuck on the I'm stuck on the Francis Parker Yaki chapter right now. So yes, Spengler was a, so. Let me go for the the. I, I believe that yeah, Alain de Benoit. I believe considers himself a pagan. I he's probably antagonistic towards Christianity. Uh, Sam Francis. I had, I'll have to go through that one. But Spengler was was a Mischling. He was a quarter Jewish. All right. So he. I mean, what do you want me to say about that? I don't expect him to be the biggest fan of Christianity. Uh, what was who was next? Oh, Julius Avola. Okay, Avola is Avola. I mean, uh, what do you want me to say about that? But Francis Parker Yaki considered himself a Gothic Catholic. At least that's according to two of his good friends, whom both attested he went to mass with them. Jesus, yes, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say right Yaki was a I'm not gonna say that Yaki was like a a devout Catholic. Like, I'm, gonna I'm not start gonna start that Twitter Twitter thing right now. That's that's gonna be the the the, the next meme. The Gothic Catholic. Yeah, I'm a Gothic Catholic. I mean, like he got he. He like Wilmot Robbins, uh, Robertson complained that Yaki didn't continue didn't include Christianity as a culture distorter. So it's like okay, so first of all, you're you're already misrepresenting what these guys were about. They might have critiques of the church. They might have problems with the state of Christianity. Yeah, but the the way that this is presenting presented is very simplistic. That's why I I got so mad about this is because this is obviously meant to drive a wedge as much as possible. Rod, Rod has to believe this. I think this is honestly like a kind of cognitive defense mechanism for him and a lot of people like I mean he he is useful in this because he's not alone, right? It's not like it's just him. He's just a kind of index for a certain kind of I would say conservative rather than he calls himself a right winger. He's not a right winger. He's a conservative. Um and uh, for these kinds of people, like it, it, it's kind of like the, like what we were discussing earlier with the inability to process even cognitively, you know, the reality of death and impermanence on on the part of libtards. Um, these people like can't accept that uh, the you know the, the dissident right is is in, in, like heavily heavily religious, not exclusively, not you know anything like that, but but a lot of guys in our thing are, are practicing Christians, are, you know, Buddhists, um, even, you know, pagans of a certain sort, or even if you're not, like, a, you know, religious in that kind of a way, that at least you have... You, you, I mean, McNab- the, McNabb's an atheist, and he's taken his kids to church before. Yeah. Right, and, and McNabb, would you say that you hated Christianity, or that you were anti-Christian? I mean, you can, I don't, I mean, I'm just... Yeah, I mean, I, just, I don't I get just that impression. I'm in the pew just raging the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's vain in the forehead guy as he's sitting in the pew. <laughs> right. 
like I, there's no I mean look I, I understand people have people in our thing can be critical of Christianity in various ways some of these you know Evelo yes and, and some of these people the, 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 these authors we mentioned were, were critical of Christianity in certain ways and, and I do think it's fair I want to say I do think it's fair not Christianity as such but but a certain like I think I think Protestantism I think it's fair to connect liberalism to Protestantism hundred percent intellectually historically yeah. I think that's a, that's yeah, a, there, that's there, a good there is connection there is a made. strong overlap with that yeah I don't think and I don't think liberalism would have progressed as far without the you know just it, a lot of it but, has but to, to do with the rise of the bourgeoisie like, and all that but yeah of course and there were economic yes there were all kinds of things but but the bottom line for me is like you know the reality is um we have a lot of religious guys in our thing i think that the most effective of our voices are frequently the religious ones and even the ones who are not religious or, or purely secular like you know the um like you guys on on tedious for the most part like the, you know you're i i i Take, I, I noticed, and I think it's, I think a lot of people appreciate. You always, you're always careful to say, like, you know, look, if you want to be Christian, that's great, that's fine. That you know, just don't let that uh, prevent you from from being a racial nationalist, and there's no problem. Um, and 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 even maybe even sometimes a step beyond that of understanding, like, you know, well, like it or not, Christianity, um, uh, especially uh, you know, the pre-Protestant Christianity, is an extremely important part of the history and identity and, and, and formation of the European character and, and the European nations. Our people have been Christian for a very long time, and and there's no like getting around that. And our greatest works of art and, and architecture and, and and civilizational accomplishments, in many cases, many cases are are direct result of that. And so, like you know, the, the, but you know, to, you can so you can have a nuanced position and be like, well, Christianity, you know, maybe I'm not Christian, but I can respect Christianity in certain ways. And if people in our thing want to be Christian, then then that's fine. Um, but but that's unacceptable. The, 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 these kinds of conservatives, the Rod Dreher types, the Matthew Rose types, it, it has to be the case for them that we are all kind of you know Richard Spencer kind of rabidly anti-Christian, frothing at the mouth types, very much like this this demon who wrote that article we were reading earlier, um, just from you know quote unquote the right. And and we have to hate Christianity just as much as they do, because the the the, the actual reality of the situation, which is that's just not the case, um, and that we're offering a more effective politics within a theoretical framework that is very much accommodating to Christianity in in, in the most important kinds of ways. Um, it's just that's like too much for their brains to handle, and and it just causes them yeah. too much cognitive dissonance and, and pain. Well, I, I, this this quote this uh, he quotes again from Henry George, and this kind of gets to the heart of it. Go ahead, McNam. Oh, no, just go ahead and read it. You want to read yeah. it. This speaks to a problem keenly felt by those in the radical right. How does one live and find meaning in the world when Christian faith seems impossible? Well, who's making that impossible for us? There is a particular urgency to this question in the work of Spengler and Evola, writing in the wake of the catastrophe of World War I. The attempts of each to find a way towards meaning is telling. It speaks to the spiritual dissatisfaction that sits at the base of so many forms of extremism, from Islamism to the far left and radical right. Each of these writers sought some sort of resolution and redemption inside the world and within history itself, having discarded or lost the path to salvation outside time that Christianity offers. But no matter their efforts, these thinkers seemingly cannot escape the shadow of the cross they so despise. So what changed... Okay, okay, Henry George, what changed that makes Christianity so difficult for people who would, who would love to believe in it but are looking at, at the state of things thinking, well, it's not... There, it's not there for me. Like I know, that's also, I know I, is it the is it the lesbian pastor? Is is that Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the the I think that it was announced. Is, is now the a fact is a Catholic something with the 
Is it like, yeah. or is it the fact that like, like my wife, for instance, like she can't, like she's always fretting over like it, every like re- news report that comes out about Francis because she does not want to believe the Pope is going to, uh, like, is going to do the unthinkable, and just it just feels like a matter. Of, and if you're Catholic, as many copes as we might have, like it just feels like it's a matter of time before Francis steps outside the bounds. If you haven't already gone a full seat on this kind of stuff, you mean before he becomes trans? <laughs> I can believe it. I mean, I could. Yeah. I mean, I guess Roger is okay with religion being completely co-opted by the this, this status quo liberalism, but for people that are looking for something spiritual, they're not happy with that. They want something beyond this. Well, he, he just wants it all to be, like, depoliticized. He He's pretty explicit. Like, for him, it's like, you know, he has the Benedict option, which he never, ever wants to define... Uh, you know, in any kind of substantive way uh, just, beyond just sort of like the Benedict uh, option no. apparently is move move to Europe and eat eat fine food. <laughs> he, he keeps saying like, oh, I'm not saying head for the hills. I'm saying build communities. You know, uh, within your thing. It's like, okay, well, whatever, fine. I mean, you know, but but he doesn't want to. The, the the key point is he doesn't. He wants to do it in a way like he he's willing to fight on on to some extent on 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 gay shit and tranny shit, but 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 on the racial issue. Hundred percent the opposite. He's just like you. You know, the the idea of fighting on a racial basis for racial autonomy is is just completely unacceptable to him. And he goes through as many pains as he needs to, and and bend over as as far as he needs to in order to avoid ever touching that third rail. So, uh, so I, the, I, hold on, I, the threat, the threat to Christianity posed by the radical right. Uh, nobody on the radical right is seriously trying to destroy Christianity. That's the threat to Christianity saying. is Christianity yep. itself. <laughs> or the church, yeah, the churches at least, yeah. So, Rose is a Christian, as I mentioned. He begins the final, and I'm looking forward to this chapter. He begins the final chapter by writing about Dan, a young correspondent who left Christianity because, in his view, the church has become the number one enemy of Western civilization. Rose goes on, almost everything written about the alternative right has been wrong in one respect. The alt-right is not stupid. It is deep. Its ideas are not ridiculous. They are serious. To appreciate this fact, one needs to inquire beyond its presence on social media, where its obnoxious use of insult, obscenity, and racism has earned it a reputation for moral idiocy. The reputation is deserved, but do not be deceived. Behind its online tantrums and personal attacks are arguments of seductive power. This chapter is the first attempt I have seen by a Christian on the right to grapple honestly with the threat to Christianity posed by the radical anti-Christian right. Rose pays these thinkers the compliment of taking their ideas seriously. He says that the politics of the post-Christian right are going to sound a lot of the are going to sound a lot of the themes that the far-right authors he profiles advocated. This, even if the post-Christian rightists of the future have never heard of these men. We Christians had better be ready for these arguments, Rose says. He goes on. Like believers in late antiquity, Christians need to be willing to see their cultures, including their proudest achievements, through the eyes of their most unforgiving critics. Doing so requires that they resist the temptation, however powerful, to dismiss their critics' ideas as motivated solely by prejudice or hatred. The radical right can be ignored or marginalized for a time, and we can hope that its season will not arrive soon. But it represents a perennial possibility in our political life, and where social changes continue to open new intellectual spaces, its opportunities for expression will undoubtedly grow. Its ideas do not cease to animate human minds when they cannot be openly expressed and debated, and it's not credit to us if we succeed in repressing them without first understanding them. We cannot know what we affirm without knowing what we deny, and we cannot know who we are if we do not know if we do not know what other ways of life are possible i'm not hearing any arguments by the way against what's being said here I, like i'm hearing a lot of like we have no arguments yeah 
Well, we, we have no imaginations. Yep. No imagination whatsoever. More. What, what it is fundamentally, I'll tell you, is, is, is and, and like, Rod will say, I mean, because he said, I, I, I hate read his blog and, and, and keep fairly close tabs. And, and like, he will often say, um, oh, well, you know, the problem, I, it's, it's, I'm increasingly clear that liberalism is, you know, indefensible or and it's failing anyway. But I just, I'm still like, temperamentally liberal because it's, I don't, you know, the alternative is worse. And maybe I want to kind of, you know, uh, what he calls what a democratic illiberalism like Orban. I mean, it's so gay, but basically like kind of, you know, within certain kind of liberal strictures, but not doing things the way that left liberals want or, you know, like a little bit like the, the kind of mirror image of a certain kind of a uh, liberal left that, that we see developing. I actually think it's, it's, it's more that like he intuits correctly that, uh, you know, he, he's talked in the past a lot about how he was bullied, obviously not hard enough as a kid. <laughs> and he, has, he, he <laughs> He has a a really um, oh man I I I miss I, I can't I don't they don't want to waste time on air and, and pull it up. Rod Dreher was bullied as a kid, right? Oh, he famously uh, he, he famously he, talked about it in an article of his. I'll see if I can find it. And, and, and he talked about it all the time. And, and in one of his books, he's like basically like one of the defining episodes of his life was was when some of the bullies like pulled his pants down and humiliated him in front of other students, especially girls. And the teachers were like, he's like, but teacher, but teacher. And the teachers just were like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, Oh my God. And this is like, you know, another show. Oh, um, I, I found his tweet from during the Kavanaugh hearings in 2018 in high school. I was physically bullied by 17 year old boys in a sexually humiliating way, but not sex. It affected the direction of my life. They never apologized. Still. I wouldn't hold that against them. If they were nominated for the court, they were boys. Oh man. <sighs> Yeah, and and in, in another one of his books, he talks about how like his sister used to bully the shit out of him at home, and would like at one point his dad, who was like, who was like, you know, imagine he's like a silent generation, uh, like rural Louisiana guy, uh, who's like, what the fuck am I gonna do with this faggot son? So so he tried to like get him to do pushups. He's like, but dad, I can't. And then his sister came in the room and just like whipped out and did a bunch of pushups, like, and, like humiliated him. Yeah, well, it's, it's like Roger. Why, why did you not hit the gem or something? Like, fuck. This is well. That's the thing is because liberal, liberalism allows him not to. Liberalism allows him to it provides a space for him that is bully free. That is, you know, like, like he he can be like a faggot with stupid hair and dumb opinions and and write these little articles and exist in the kind of rightward edge of the of the Overton window and and serve as a kind of you know catch against uh, uh, people falling too far into our thing. Um, it provides a space for him to be that particular kind of faggot. And 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 that's why he likes it. That's why liberalism has to be defended. I really honestly think that it's an emotional thing. He understands, like, you know, when we win, uh, uh, if, if you're if, if you're a faggot that's losing push-up contests to your to your kid sister, uh, you're going to be sent away and, and forced to do push-ups to the point where that's not going to happen anymore. Right? Yeah, I, I don't want to build a civilization that's safe for Rod Dreher. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. Liberalism aspired to order society around a vision of human beings abstracted from all attachments whose fundamental needs are for prosperity, peace, and pleasure. It imagined human beings as rights-bearing individuals who could pursue their own understanding of the good life. If liberalism is in crisis, it is because this picture of human life has proved to be impoverished. Human beings are not defined through acts of individual choice and self-expression alone. They are social creatures who find meaning through relationships they have not chosen and responsibilities they cannot relinquish. Human identity is in this respect 
irreducibly illiberal, being embedded in lines of kinship and descent, existing only in a sequence of generations, always as a child and invariably an inheritor of a particular cultural and social patrimony. It is an irreducible part of our nature, an absolute given, what, that we owe our existence to parents and peoples we did not originally choose. That's from Matthew Rose's book. In light of that paragraph, consider a complaint that was voiced years ago. This is back to Dreer. Voiced years ago by a commentator long since departed called German Reader. He was a German who was not a Christian and who said openly that he held Catholic and Protestant pastors in his country responsible for its destruction. Why? Because they promoted open doors immigration, which was tearing apart the social fabric. Anybody who has spent time in European cities knows what a crisis immigration is causing there. Pope Francis constantly promotes open doors immigration, apparently disregarding the right of the various peoples of Europe to decide for themselves who will live in their territories, and disregarding the fact that there is something valuable in the lives of their particular peoples, stretching far back into the past. Something that is worth preserving, but that cannot be preserved if their people are replaced or semi-replaced by foreigners. Here we go, my favorite part. As you know, I spent significant time. As you know, I spent significant time in Hungary this year. Immigration guys, is a, you know that he not just Hungary. Immediately after he came back from Hungary, this and and the tedious guys were uh, you guys were ragging on him and uh, good you know for like the Hungary thing, but he came back to the states and then like a week later went back to Europe to go to like a book tour in Italy. I mean, and then he was like, everybody should go to Siena. It's like because it's so beautiful. It's like, dude, shut the fuck. Up. Do you understand anything of what's happening? Like, it, I, I just blew my mind. Anyway, sorry, go on. Immigration is a big deal there, with Prime Minister Viktor Orban following a hard line against immigration to his country. Orban's argument is that Hungary has existed as a nation for a thousand years. Nobody else in the world speaks language speaks a language like theirs. There are fewer than 10 million Hungarians living in Hungary. To open the doors to immigrants is to put the existence of their nation in danger. Given that much of the migration to Europe comes from the Islamic world, it would be to put the existence of Christianity in Hungary in danger. This at a time when secularism has it, has it flat on its back. Of course, Orban is right about this. If people like Francis want to urge people like Viktor Orban to change their minds, then he has to take seriously the arguments of the anti-immigrant folks, whose number include many Catholics. But I don't see that happening. Instead, there is nothing but chastisement and bland speechifying talking about welcoming the stranger. To be fair, Christians do have a particular obligation to consider their moral responsibility towards the stranger. But does fulfilling that obligation require the suicide of a people and of their state? These are extremely difficult questions, and there is no indication that liberals, neither Francis nor any other leading liberals, are capable of addressing them seriously. How about you address them seriously, Why Roger? Why is it a difficult question? Roger? There's nothing difficult about it. Like it's not. A, it's not. A, should we commit suicide because we owe something to strangers? No. Why are Why are liberals doing this? Like as a, as though you don't have any moral culpability in this. As though you don't have influence that you're not using to any proper. You oh. know. In, I'm trying to understand his trajectory through religion. He started as a Methodist, then he becomes a Catholic, and then he becomes a, an Orthodox Christian. Do I have I'm that so, right? I'm so I mean, sorry. Or, yeah. I'm so sorry, Orthodox Bros. <laughs> yeah, I'm so he, sorry. Yeah, he, actually, he did the Twitter like, evolution like in real life or something. <laughs> At some point, though, denouncing all dissent from the liberal line as hatred and bigotry becomes untenable. These questions are not going away. If Christianity cannot figure out how to answer the real questions these people have, then we Christians will lose them to the radical right. Matthew Rose makes this extremely important point in his vital book. But bourgeois well, wait, a cons- wait a second. Christianity didn't answer your questions either, because you've been through three different versions of it. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it seems like it just seems like Rod Dreer just like bound, like goes to like well let me look for the tra- like let me look for the, the most traditional church I can find so I can do the least amount of work on myself. <laughs> 
but bourgeois I mean, Christian can... the, the, the lack of self-conscious or self-awareness here. Like, do do you see that there is some sort of endemic problem that's causing people to do the thing that you're doing? Like, oh man. Okay, go but, on. But bourgeois Christian conservatism of the Newhouse, Novak, Weigel, Colson era is no longer enough. Jesus, what? That's two. A Newhouse was a converso, and so is Weigel. So, and Novak too. I think three conversos in his so-called <laughs> bourgeois Christian conservatism. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What then? I have proposed the Benedict option as a contribution to that discussion. Patrick Deneen, Rusty Reno, So Rabamari, and others have their own ideas. This 2015 First Things essay by Michael Hamby is a great place to start the deliberations. Update. DK, can you explain what the Benedict option is? No, and I read his stupid book. <laughs> I, I don't uh, think anybody can explain what the Benedict option is. Oh, it, no. It's, it's like it's the his 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 point is I mean I guess there's a kind of it's a very there's a weak formulation and then there's which is which is like I mean it, it basically telling him to do what we're already doing with the pool parties which is he's saying okay the 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 culture is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity which is true uh and and so like if you want to survive as Christians or really at all um in any kind of meaningful way for civilization you have to Form local communities of like-minded people who uh, are going to be able to provide a kind of social framework and social capital to ride out the storm. Which, mm. like in the most general sense, sure, but but I mean, like that doesn't really tell you much. And and tellingly, he's completely unwilling to to talk about it in any kind of uh, well in any kind of racial terms. He's also completely unwilling to provide any kind of um, concrete recommendations. Other than like get organized and be prepared, which like thanks guys. It sounds it, sort it's of like it's also book. based on the conservative idea of collapse, the one that the the type of that Mike's a lot more critical of, which is this idea because that's where the name the Benedict Option comes from. Is like the idea of like the Benedictine monks that were keeping you know knowledge the the, the chain and continuation of knowledge in Western oh, Europe. See, during... I thought it was a reference to Benedict Arnold. <laughs> it's more fitting, but the uh, no, it's no, so, so the it's idea a, like, oh, like we just got we just got to hold up, we got virtue like yeah we got to hold out. Sorry, oh sorry, go on. We got to hold out after the collapse, and then we we then like conservatives come back with all the knowledge and like good communities yeah. that they've been you've been they've been safeguarding, and then yeah. Yeah, that that was like Mac, Mac, uh, Alzheimer McIntyre's thing on after virtue was like, well, we don't have virtue in our society anymore, so everything's going to collapse, and so we just need to ride out that collapse, and we and we await. And the, this is the the key quote: a new and doubtless very different Saint Benedict um, to like lead the way through the darkness of the imperial collapse. And that's where he gets this idea of a Benedict option of like you know our being the you know being slash waiting for the new and doubtless very different Saint Benedict. Um, which again, like I want to emphasize, like, I mean, the thing is now Rod probably would never acknowledge this, but the reality is in the kind of like the, the broad and, and maybe weak as opposed to this, because I guess you could say a strong Benedict option, uh, that, you know, he praises sometimes these kind of intentional Catholic communities in the mountains from some places. And it's like, yeah, but that's not scalable. And I also doubt how effective that's going to be. If we're doing a one-to-one -one analog here, that also means centuries of getting your shit pushed in by heathen well, raiders. Right. Exactly, <laughs> by Vikings um, like and, and pagans basically well, and just fucking your shit I mean, up. He, to the extent he ever talks about like force and violence and and like defense in those terms, he's always like, "Well, oh, you're never going to go up against the state." And he never, I was, you know, like anyway, that's a whole other, whole other thing. But what I was going to say is like, honestly, in a kind of in the kind of general sense that I was talking about, 
like you could you could say like Mike is a kind of you know uh, very different Saint Benedict in that yes Mike is a you know someone who's like a leader who's giving people tools to make these kinds of local communities for ourselves, pool parties, whatever, you know, intentional communities of like-minded people with social capital and networks outside of the imperial system, uh, sometimes even financially outside of the, of the uh, imperial system. Like, like that, you know, pool parties are a kind of Benedict Option community. And, and I, again, I don't think that Rod would ever accept that or that's not what he means because he wants to see it in exclusively religious terms and considers racial terms to be unacceptable. I just would push back on that entirely. I would say, well, the racial is going to have to come first to some extent, at least like, you know, you, you, you can't have a functioning religious community if you don't, if it's, if it's just a mishmash of languages and ethnicities. And even if and you see this, I mean, it's a kind of old talking point, but it checks out with the E. Michael Jones thing. Like even when you're talking about a religiously, a religiously unified community, you know, Catholics in, in urban environments, uh, you have the Irish church, you have the German church, you have, you know, and, and, and so on down the line. Um, historically so like you still get that kind of ethnic separatism even among catholics who are nominally the exact same religion so or even not nominally they are all catholics but they're still going to have ethnic communities because of course they are because that's how human beings are we're tribal creatures um but but this is the the, the massive hole in in the benedict option analysis um that as as rod has as you know, given it to this point. And that's why I would just step in and say like, yeah, you know, when you talk about Benedict options, like we're doing that. Pool parties are doing that. TRS is doing that. We're providing that. And, and, and you know, I'm a part of it. We all, I think, are, are parts of our, you know, local communities and, and they, we have derived a lot of benefit from that. And and we are exactly building these kinds of, of social networks that um, are are a beacon of light in a, in a wasteland of darkness. Um, and yeah, if, if there's a kind of racial exclusivity to that, you know, I'm sorry, but like that's how it's going to have to be for a while. I think the problem is Roger just cannot transcend his class consciousness as a bully dork. <laughs> like this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna like we got we have a you know one of the one of uh, Roger's helpful help, you know just helpful emails he gets from his readers that he likes to post so often an update a reader who is Don White emails to say wait wait the reader like notified him he's not white yeah. This is, this like, is was, probably was, was it was it in like this 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 subject heading of the email. It's just, okay, Hello, Rod. Roger, I'm not white. <laughs> this is like Roger, like imagining like the voice of another person who's like, okay, but how would I make this seem? Re- okay, it's a, it's a non-white. It's a non-white. Yeah, you know, just like all the, just like all those waitresses he talks to. Uh, nearly all of what you say is of critical importance, but learning from the radical right had an urgency to it that I haven't felt in your other posts. For one, critical it immediately reminded really. me of what Pascal Emmanuel Gabri said in 2017, but also attributed to Rosh Dushat. If you don't like the Christian right, you'll really hate the post-Christian right. You know by now what? I'm an idiot. Bringing endorsement of the Christian right. It's the lesser <laughs> evils. Good job. You know by now I'm an atheist, which is strange because most other atheists who share my views of God and spirituality, many within the scientific community, are not on the right like I am. The critical difference between myself and other atheists is that while I don't believe in a higher power or an existence outside ourselves, I see religion as eminently useful. Religion has formed the bedrock of families, communities, and societies for all of human history. At this late hour in our republic, I'm also more convinced than ever before that religion, singularly Christianity, has not only formed the basis for and great enabler of all of our western civilization 
but has also acted as a break on humankind's worst impulses. Consider what Gobry said in 2017. The entire article is that if you don't like the Christian right, you'll really hate the post-Christian right. The progressive dream of secularism entailed the right turning into essentially the center-left. Instead, all over Europe and increasingly America, we see the post-Christian right turning into a nationalist or even ethno-nationalist movement. I don't know what Gobry's political alignment is, but it doesn't matter because what he says is correct. The left, in its assault on Christianity and America's heritage overall, is creating something it has even less control over. This selfish at best. In other words, grip. in other words, sorry. In other words, the pre-existing right was control, literally controlled opposition. <laughs> yes, that's literally what he said. Yes. <laughs> Go on. Uh, where was I? Uh, the, the the selfish at best power grab by the left to create a collectivism has certainly succeeded in putting them in the driver's seat at the cost of creating a struggle which increasingly cannot be resolved in civil fashion. Gobrick concludes with, The secularization of America can have another effect. When America was a majority Christian nation, it was also a less polarized nation. It's hard not to see that Christianity played a role by providing a common language to help bridge parts differences. Could there be anything else when America was a majority Christian that made it a less polarized nation? Could there be any other factor here? I mean, I don't, I don't know, dude. They're they're like Italians. They're Polish people. I mean, it was very diverse, <laughs> extremely diverse. All all kinds of different shades of white people. A secularized America is going to have a much more extreme right wing, but also a much more extreme left wing, and fewer ways for them to interact and talk. Welcome to the future. 200% the left has PTSD because of this fact, as it indicts them as criminally culpable for the destruction of this country in the West. You can argue... They don't think of it as destruction. Yeah, I like he's like, 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 boy, are they going to have egg on their face when they realize that they're criminally culpable? No, they don't see this as destruction. They see it as progress. Why, why would they feel guilty about this shit? You can argue that America shouldn't be a theocracy and that nobody should be forced to believe or go to church while also conceding, as I have, that the United States wouldn't have ever existed, at least not as we've known it, without Christianity. Classical liberalism was the product of those who were a faith, many of whom took the Bible literally. The founding fathers were all religious men. Um, no, they, no, they weren't. No, no, they weren't. They, they were... Some were, sure, but they were also a lot of deists and a lot of Freemasons. <laughs> I like this idea, like the, the way that they, they they always construct, like that uh, that this low church Protestantism was the uh, w- was what the founding fathers were when a lot of them when a lot of them were not like the the yeoman founding stock. A lot of them were, yes, but no. Yeah. Despite the left's lies, the abolitionists were not anything remotely resembling today's woke. They were, instead, conservative and religious. This makes the left's assault on Christianity all the more baffling. These conservative Christians rendered more progress on humankind than most people. So why the vitriol? Is it because you saw a televangelist say you're going to hell if you're gay? Does that one act alone by one person invalidate all the good the faith has done for the world? I want to shove this person in a locker so it's badly. too retarded to even respond well, to. You, yeah, you, you, mean... you want to shove this person in a locker because it's Rod Dreher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. like, if I were a mulatto atheist, like what would I, what would I say? Ugh. <laughs> Samuel Huntington, who was heavily influenced by Oswald Spengler, said things similar to what Gabri said. He observed that Americans are, compared to Europeans, far more religious and that Protestant Christianity should serve as as a foundation for American culture because that's what made us. Without this distinction, there's nothing keeping us from becoming more like Europe. Maybe that's a good thing, but it'd certainly be the end of the American experiment. 
it was the, the experiment was a failure. So yeah, it's. It, I think it's time. <laughs> yeah, to end I it. love trolling conservatives. Like, okay, at what point are we allowed to say that the American exper- American experiment failed? Like, what what are the end conditions? When, when can we say like, okay, well, the results are in? <laughs> is this is just Rod Dreher. Like, why does he think people are fooled by this shit? <laughs> it's the same writing style. <laughs> I guess the urgency I felt reading your post is due to my atheism, which makes me susceptible to the to radical right thinking. I have to admit, their ideas are fascinating. I think they're actually correct about a great many things, but society cannot be created on the basis of correctness. I what? Want a, a society too right. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> you know, what? I, I, want, I, want, I want to let that linger right for a second. <laughs> a society cannot be created on the basis of correctness. We can't just do this thing because it's true. So a society should be created on the basis of, so of lies. lies. You think, like, okay, what? Okay, you're an atheist. You think that the, you know Christianity is wrong, but the Christians who made this country didn't think that Christianity was wrong. They thought what it was correct. Like, this is so retarded. Like, like, you know what I mean? It's like you you go to the you you try to create a, a society based. Obviously, I mean, you, okay, there's going to be some wrangling, but like nobody consciously. Uh, it's just so stupid. I, I just can't even. <laughs> a society built on the basis of science alone is effectively a Darwinian society, which we all reject. There's a reason why secular humanism is so popular among scientists, because the underlying philosophy behind it is to channel science for the greater good, not to surrender ourselves to it. The same goes with the radical right. In fact, it may be it may in fact be better for all ethnicities and races to live separately, for example. But paths okay. heavily crossed, and then went. Oh, right. That's our, I forgot. Like we have to solve ev- literally every single edge case before we're allowed to have our own countries. Yeah. Shall we reduce ourselves to an existence of ethnic conflict or race war, or shall we find ourselves an imperfect means of coexistence, which, if it doesn't resolve our differences, prevents our differences from being used as an excuse to kill each other? How about you know we have nation uh, nationalism with clearly defined borders. I love how they always slip. It's exactly the same thing like we saw with the, you know, if, well, if you're not, if you don't believe in liberalism, then you must be like fundamentally opposed to Christianity as if you're like a post-liberal, uh, you know, or right-wing authoritarian who rejects liberalism, then you you have to hate Christianity. Same thing here. It's like, okay, well, if you want racial autonomy for white people, then you must want to genocide the rest of the planet. It's, it's just retarded, like, and deeply unserious. Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but it goes something like, a society is something where people agree on certain myths. Myths have become synonymous with lies, and I agree, it's a thin line, but on some level, we have to be willing to believe certain things together if we're to stay together. So you, you mean, like, you have to actually believe in something? <laughs> like, not pretend. Like, I, 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 get, I get a little bit annoyed sometimes with, with people who kind of take this, like, abstract, um, atheistic perspective on, on religion as just, as just a social force. It's like... Uh, the, what religion moves people because it, it's it's the power of you know, of belief and re- and revelation. Like you can't like just construct that and say, "All right, guys, we're all going to agree on this together now." Like no, like you're fundamentally missing what that transcendent force is. And if you haven't felt it, then you just you can't like you know backwards try to abstract it and say like, "Okay, we're going to decide on this as a society, and this is going to be our our state church." It doesn't work that way. There is like the, yes, there is an, an, a level of human. You know, humanism and cynicism that can happen within, like, you know, within church politics, that element's always going to be there, but it's fundamentally moved by something. You can't just abstract that. Anyways, sorry, it's just one of those things I get, I get annoyed when, when people like this talk about that. What Rod, 
Roger has to pretend somebody emailed him, like, just <laughs> fucking put this in an article. Yeah. Well, the, the tell for this is, and as someone who, who hate reads Rod frequently, like that thing about uh, what is it, a society is something where people agree on certain myths. Like, Rod himself said that a few days ago. Like, that's, <laughs> or like a week ago, or whatever. Like, that, <laughs> that's like a thing that he said in the very recent past of like, well, you know, we have to have myths. It doesn't necessarily mean they're 100% true. Maybe we even mean, no, but we, you know, we're imperfect beings and society is imperfect. So we have to like recognize these things. Even if we know they're not 100% true, we have to like agree. That's something he, he, he says, he said that repeatedly in the past and recently in the recent past. So like, like, there you go. We have to render into a higher power, even if we don't actually believe in its literal existence. We have to believe we're a good people, even if we've committed unspeakable sins in our past. We have to see one another as family, even if we've never met each other. Without any of this, a society cannot exist, and certainly not a nation. This is why Viktor Orban is doing it right, like you say. He's not the alt-right, but a man who knows what it takes to create a truly civil nation and society. Okay, emphasizing Hungary's Christian. Uh, yeah, let's just ignore. Let's just ignore like who supports him and where he gets some of his money from. Emphasizing Hungary's Christian heritage is bigoted to most, but I'm more convinced than ever this is the only way to prevent something terrible from coming its way. The left's failure to to cease fire is going to backfire on them big time, and they'll rue the day when they commence their assault on Christianity. The Christians love them or hate them aren't the bad guys in all this. They probably never were, and you know what? I don't think I'll stand in the way of whatever's coming back at the left. Yet again, what a ringing endorsement of Christianity. Christianity is just sort of like the 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 the, the backstop against this happening. Like it's just just there to take up space and prevent people from becoming more radicalized and and doing a populist right movement. And it wasn't always that way. I mean, Christianity was a force for you know the ethno nationalism of, of like the Byzantine. I mean, okay, the Byzantine Empire was multi ethnic, but you still have. I mean, it was you know it's not like it stood in the way of of, of Greek ethnic will. Right. Or that it stood in the way of Serbian ethnic will uh, or that it stood in the way of French or Italian ethnic will. It worked hand in hand with these things um, historically in the past. Like this is all very you know, modern, even really, I mean, post 1945, because it's not even OK. The Catholic Church was, was doing some bullshit with, with with National Socialist Germany. But it's not like the Nazis themselves were, were, were this myth of Nazi anti-Christianity is something I should I'd probably look into more. I know there was some antagonism, but it definitely went in both directions. And it wasn't anything like, you know, like, oh, you, you know, you can't um, be a good Christian and a and a good member in good standing of, of the NSDAP. That just wasn't true. So, like, I, I don't know what, you know, there's this. It, it, it's historically illiterate, I guess, is my point. This idea that, like, you know, or I mean, I understand that in in the in the post, you know, 1945 Zog world order, uh, yes, it's true that that Christianity is understood to be a a, a check on um on the on these on these nationalist forces and and on on, the, on racial autonomy, especially white people. But that historically has not been the case, and and it's very strange. To see Christianity discussed in these terms is like something that inherently is going to serve as that kind of a restraint because just that's just up until very very recently it was not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't in terms of like is Christianity based or Christian baseball I don't like just it history has always been moved by by very motivated minorities and. Within a, within Christianity, the the amount of Christians that want to sit down and really internalize an extremely goofy movie is going to be a minority, and those those I, like, 
is the I'm gonna be side I'm gonna be side by side with with those goofy ones, and I'll just leave it at that. Mine goof. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, there's not going. It, it's just. It, it, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating with, with reading this Rod Dreher stuff because, like, it's not as though like he speaks to anybody who the people who take him seriously are not fundamentally serious people. So the war, the mo- he's not going to convince anyone. The most he can do, and this is what he and Matthew Rose are trying to do, is try and cause as much D and C as much as possible. Yes. That's all they can. They they want all they can do is be obstructive to us, and to which I say like. You know, if you if you find, you know, if you, if you find his content so compelling that you have to either attack, you know, guys who are Christian or guys who aren't Christian because of stuff that Rod Dreher has said, stop. Just I don't think or the chill, kind take a chill not pill. necessarily like take a chill him pill. specifically, but just like those kinds of like this doesn't yeah. need to be a problem. And if you think yeah. that it needs to be a problem, then you're buying into the left's framework and causing problems. That don't need to exist. So believe me, a, a people uh, there's a diversity of people who want to show Rod Dreher a goofy movie. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, it's a very diverse movie going audience of people who want to screen a goofy movie with Rod Dreher. <laughs> it's a '90s classic. I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I feel like I feel like Rod Dreher will learn a lot if he sits down and watches a goofy movie with us. <laughs> did we have it? There was one tiny little thing, but did we have anything else? It's probably probably enough on that, and we're running. Yeah, we've we've got two hours. Um, I I did want to real, and I don't want to like launch into this thing, but but just maybe um, I don't know. It pissed me off, and I wanted to. To share it, uh, I, I, the link, the Twitter link that I that I sent oh, in the, the chat, the Kelly B one. Yeah, uh, okay. there was a. Well, I'll just I'll just read it. Um, so this was an obituary. Uh, oh, great, Cloudflare is misbehaving. Um, this was an obituary of a nurse uh, in Oregon who did not want to take the vaccine. Uh, well, I'll just read it. Jessica Berg Wilson. Yes, I know Berg. I don't know. I, whatever. It doesn't actually. I don't think matter for this. Um, passed away unexpectedly September 7th, 2021 from COVID-19 vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia, VITT, surrounded by her loving family. Jessica was an exceptionally healthy and vibrant 37-year-old young mother with no underlying health conditions. Jessica was born October 29th, 1983 to Arthur and Gwenberg in Portland, blah, blah, blah. She met Tom, her loving husband, in 2009, and they wed in 2012, going on to have two daughters, Bridget, five, and Clara, three. Jessica's greatest passion was to be the best mother possible for Bridget and Clara. Nothing would stand in her way to be present in their lives. During the last weeks of her life, however, the world turned dark with heavy-handed vaccine mandates. Local and state governments were determined to strip away her right to consult her wisdom and enjoy her freedom. She had been vehemently opposed to taking the vaccine, knowing she was in good health and of a young age and thus not at risk for serious illness. In her mind, the known and unknown risks of the unproven vaccine were more of a threat. But slowly, day by day, her freedom to choose was stripped away. Her passion to be actively involved in her children's education was once again blocked by government mandate. Ultimately, those who closed doors and separated mothers from their children prevailed. It cost Jessica her life. It cost 
her children the loving embrace of their caring mother, and it cost her husband the sacred love of his devoted wife. It cost God's kingdom on earth a very special soul who was just making her love felt in the hearts of so many. And the um, the tweet, the reason, one of the reasons why I bring this up is apart from just the kind of obvious there, is um, the Kelly B, the tweet that, that mentions this uh, the obituary, uh, was tweeting about it, went viral, started getting a lot of traction, and then Twitter uh, put the brakes on it and did the little exclamation point thingy with the, this tweet is misleading. Find out why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccines safe for most people, and you can no longer like or retweet or reply mm. to um, to this tweet. It's oh, been completely I, I shut a down. Link that may be relevant to this. Uh, I guess Twitter is trying to present this as some sort of like conspiracy theory. But here's a link from the American College of Cardiology, which I don't think that's a conspiracy website. Like that's not like natural news, right? I think it's I think it's just an extension of Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and here's the thing about what, yeah, exactly, what cardiovascular cl- clinicians need to know and blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I understand, you know, I, I don't want to, like, dwell too long on this. We are running a bit late and, and, and so on. But, um, like, to me, it's not even so much, you can talk about conspiracy theories, Alex, but the thing is, like, it, it just shows you the absurdity of... I mean, they say this tweet is misleading. Like, what's misleading about yeah, it exactly? I mean, the woman's dead. Yeah, it just told you exactly what happened, and it's a, it's a real <laughs> thing. Uh, VITT is a real thing. It exists. It's known, and it's actually associated with two specific vaccines, the J&J and the AstraZeneca vaccine. And here's, here is like a document designed to help uh, clinicians deal with it whenever it shows up. Like, <laughs> what's misleading? Well, just, I mean, it, mis- of course, and, and we all get the shot here, but just to, to, to make it explicit, like, it's, it's, it's any, quote-unquote misleading is just anything that could even conceivably lend support to a narrative they don't like, right? And, and this supports the narrative they don't like, therefore it's, it's quote-unquote, misleading and you're not allowed to, um, to share it or interact with it. Or, uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much to say about it other than um, I... Uh, I, I, I just think it's a crime against humanity. When we talk about you know the Nuremberg trials and what a joke that was, these pe- these people are criminals against humanities. These people are criminals against humanity, and 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 they'll get what's coming to them. I guess you couldn't talk about this on YouTube, or they would just delete your entire channel. Oh, yeah, right. Just like read the obituary, and I'm sure your yeah, your uh, thing would be <laughs> shot shut down. Yeah, man. I'm sure I'm glad that we're not like communist China. <laughs> be a shame. Help me, but I must goof post it's from Sped Kaczynski. <laughs> oh, it's time for us to get out here because Bartoy has uh, has woken up from his nap. But I heard All right. Yep. So, what do you guys got to plug? Uh, Roger's Alex, website. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Midnight Mass is, is maybe worth checking out. I hadn't anticipated that, but that um, a, that sounds good. I, I liked it. I liked it. Don't you have a new decent. article on Dissident Mag? I think I do. I think I do. I think I think it's about Jewish power. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that. It's short. It's very short. 
Uh, oh yeah, right. We didn't even talk because Kamala Harris, like somebody was like, uh, "Oh yeah, did you know that Israel is a, is an apartheid genocidal maniac state?" And she's like, "Well, you know, you make a good point." And then Jonathan Greenblatt had to be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, She didn't even do that. She she didn't even do that. What she said was, "You have like the right to speak your truth," something to that effect. Just like the most right, sort of right. limp-wristed like reification uh, of free speech that you could do. And then the Jew, like Jews around the planet, immediately flipped the fuck out. And yeah. the very next day, her office is like in frantic communications with Jonathan Greenblatt and these other Jewish organizations. Like, no, 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 no. We love Israel. No, don't, no, no, don't, don't be confused about this. We absolutely love Israel. We love it. We never do anything to jeopardize the relationship with Israel. And I'm like, that's uh, that's interesting behavior, considering that Jews have absolutely no influence on politics in the United States. Very strange that this would happen. <laughs> no organized influence. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. <laughs> Yeah, no, oh no international God. click here that is desperate to make sure that uh, the United States protects Israel's interests at all costs. Like, it doesn't exist. I, I blew a, a libtard friends. I, I still have a couple libtard friends, and, and one of them I was like, so why is it that we can't get roads or bridges or internet access or health care for Americans? You know, it's just this giant parliamentary clusterfuck, and, and nothing happens in Congress, and it's just a, just nothing ever gets yeah. going. But Israel snaps its fingers, and a vote of 420 to 9 gets a billion dollars on top of the $4 billion they get every year. And my friend was just like, I, 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 I like no response. DK, what do you got? Oh, you got? You guys stuck another top again. DK, what do you got? Sorry, to sorry. I know we did because I was about to talk about how it's a theocratic Christian. So they're the reason that Israel gets everything it wants. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it, America manipulating the strings of Israel to, to, to exercise its colonial will in the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, we got, uh, we've been having production issues with, with the NIGR, but we should be back this week with all new, fresh uh, content. And yeah. um, I got to do, I got to do Final Fantasy VI with you because like, I got, I got, we got, I got some Fantasy hot, hot Kafka takes. We got we got some, we were talking about it yeah on in the behind the scenes and yeah we got some super hot takes on Final Fantasy VI uh, we also and and uh, and and Lewis proposed and I think it's a fantastic idea I'll have to get actually maybe you too McNabb um, uh, discussing the Horus Heresy books as a, as a culture terror spinoff episode um, or Warhammer books generally you know or whatever who would like to discuss that actually is <laughs> Mike. Uh, Mike, that's what we, we he they, would I like to do that but there's another guy that we have got to, we've got to get this guy on. Uh, He's in he's in Britain land. He's in England. Oh, Morgoth? Morgoth, yeah. Morgoth has read all that stuff. Well we and can Morgoth we can do I mean it's probably broad enough to to, to, to to handle at least, you know, two episodes or something we see. But yeah, that's that's on our radar. There's, we got a, and then Diablo two remastered just so, so there's a bunch of stuff to, to cover. But we, yeah, we have some we had some audio problems, we had some production problems, but uh, those should be at least somewhat mitigated um like as of now, essentially. So so watch out for that. And uh, people, I, I did an announcement YouTube for People Square is coming back. Uh, I don't know if Striker wants me to say this yet. So we're trying to plan for Thursday. There is a possibility that for this episode, we might do it on Saturday or some other day because Striker wants to do a, a very long, uh, star studded, action packed stream. It, it, we're gonna, we want to come back in a big way. It's, I don't want to like say much more than that, but we are planning for this week for the People Square to come back, and it will be on Odyssey. I did a uh, announcement video uh, on YouTube, so yeah, uh, it's uh, trs.biz on Odyssey, and then I, the People Square I think is the other one. Like we're, we're not sure which channel we're using yet, so but yeah, keep well. You, there'll be updates just follow my telegram uh t.me race slash race spores i'll be posting updates as i as i have them in terms of what we're doing so but yeah people square coming back this week 
Um, all right. I can... I can so dog is out of control right now. <laughs> he's, he's wrestling with me while I try to do this. All right. With, with that... That's it for this week. Remember, every time you post Doom Spaghetti, an edgy Republican voter cries. Mr. Producer, hail victory. See ya, Kyle.